0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the
2: Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
2: Good morning, friends. Happy Halloween to you. Hope, uh, hope you're all dressed up, looking great, looking sharp. Uh, a few of us are dressed up today in the studio. Dr. Matt here, along with uh, Jeffrey Liam Simpson and Terry South, you, you, I want you to guess, listeners, which of the three of us is dressed up. Only one. And uh, he's got L.A. Writ on, written on his face. Jeffrey Simpson.
3: You did it, man. You look good. Apparently I made the mistake of uh, putting my hand on my face, and so now I've got L.A. written on my hand, yeah, too. In fact, I like how you fingerprinted your face. Yeah. All those neat. And if you get really close, yeah. you can tell that the markers are, that I used are scented. Did you use those
2: are real markers? Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. A lot of times you don't use markers on your face. Not
3: necessarily by choice. It's just what was available. Yeah, I smell the licorice of the black eye stuff that you, the black eye goo. If you smell really hard, it's actually confidence and winning. Really? Mm-hmm. Is that what that
2: smells like? Mm-hmm. Licorice. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> Welcome to the program, boy. Oh, boy, another great day, and boy, it's a scary day if you are uh, President Trump. You know? No.
4: Yesterday, who's very clear, none of this has anything to do with him. Well, except they were all on his campaign. That's fine, but it doesn't have anything to do with him. Well, but... Their personal activities don't reflect on him. Yeah, but Papadopoulos... Uh Uh-huh. I, he may was, have been he was, wired. There was one committee. Have... It met once. Very limited access to things. <laughs> that was the press conference yesterday. Oh, is that so. what he's saying? No, that's, well, that's what the White yeah, House is that's saying. That's what the White House is saying. Yeah, just like Manafort. Well, minimal impact. He was the chairman. He was the you know campaign chairman. But very minimum, minimal impact. He was only there for
2: three months. But
4: what, but what Clinton Clinton's,
2: did was bad.
4: If Cl- you watch certain networks, sure. Clinton did bad stuff. Right. We're just going to ride that into the ground. They keep
2: accidentally referring to the Clinton administration. And President Clinton, yes. They
5: yeah. got a r- bunch of real
2: dummies. And, and he did, she didn't win, right? No. He, he won right with,
4: she, with she, a little bit of Paul Manafort's help. She's actually confused. And she had a, a gathering yesterday where yeah. she spoke to some people, and she's like, apparently certain TV networks aren't clear that
2: I lost. Yeah. It's really strange. So. Hmm. I wonder huh. which one that is. Uh, tonight, uh, also uh, World Series events. Of course, little children will be running around to your door, so make sure you're very careful in how you drive right. and what you give them. I would, of course, just give them fruits and vegetables, maybe a little vegetable tray. And then watch out for the eggs. And then be egged the rest yeah, of them. night. it'll be fun. Uh, we'll get to all of that fun. Celebration plus uh, more on what's going on with Muller's investigation. Says his name? Muller. It sounds like... It, it sounds like you're saying it wrong. It sounds but yes. like CS... No, what's it called? Uh, uh, it sounds like a spy show. Hmm. Mulder. Yeah, Mulder. Like X-Files. Yeah. X-Files. Ooh.
3: that's that's a different spy show that's a different that's Mulder not Muller. if you come to our if you come to our house tonight yeah we won't give out candy we'll give out Dodger dogs Dodger dogs what kind of is that a what is that a Dachshund what kind of (laughs) dog is that you're giving away dogs. Well, there's very little dog in it. so
4: okay. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I have neighbors that set up a camp kitchen in their driveway on Halloween. Oh, and really? And they give out hot dogs. Oh, that's so nice. And then across the street, the people set up like a fire pit in the driveway. Uh-huh. And they, they have like cider. Wow. You just go over and hang out and
2: talk to people. I'm like, so you can get a dog across the street cider? Yeah. It's, are, a,
4: it's like they're not quite grasping the fact no. that you're
2: supposed to stop, get candy, and keep moving. Maybe what you ought to hand out are like napkins. And uh-huh. maybe, you know, yeah. I don't know, maybe you could have like a condiment area <laughs> where you just <laughs> you, know.
3: you know what? If you were to hand out napkins, they would give them right back to you and say, You're gonna need these for when I egg your house. That's
2: See right. you guys are eggers. That's what happens. Violent eggers. The social contract. Candy <sighs> please. Now. Now Let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what else should we be paying attention to?
4: President Donald Trump spent Monday seething and fuming over a trail of indictments against his former campaign staffers, according to reports from CNN and The Washington Post. Trump reportedly spent much of Monday huddled in the White House living quarters with his lawyers while initially pleased that the indictment against his former campaign manager, Paul Manafort, did not mention him. Trump reportedly became agitated while watching cable news coverage of in the indictments, which he believed inflated the three indi- indicted men's roles in his campaign. Trump's lawyers reportedly warned against criticizing or firing special proce- or counsel uh, Robert Mueller, but Trump's former chief tra- strategist Steve Bannon weighed in from beyond the White House to suggest Trump pushed back against Mueller's investigation, the Washington Post has an inside the White House piece that cites 20 sources. Trump's Trump digested the news with exasperation and disgust. The story says it quotes a senior Republican in close contact with top staffers saying, "The walls are closing in. Everyone is freaking out." Oh boy! Wow. 20 sources, but you know. Uh, the the walls aren't actually closing in. It, it kind of feels like it, apparently. That's scary. And the freaking out part was kind yeah, of fun. totally. Uh, an unsealed indictment revealed President Trump's former foreign policy advisor, George Papadopoulos, I've practiced that today, Papadopoulos,
2: Papadopoulos. was
4: charged with making false statements to federal agents and impeding the investigation and in a possible collusion between Trump, the Trump campaign and Russia because federal investigators like special counsel Robert Mueller tend to work inwards towards central figures Papadopoulos's indictment particularly of note because it includes references to yet another unnamed campaign aide who was involved in conversations with Kremlin agents. Oh. Papadopoulos was charged with making false statements regarding his contact with a Russian professor who claimed he had dirt on Hillary Clinton during the campaign. Papadopoulos was arrested
2: in July 2017 and has reportedly been cooperating with the FBI. They say, they say his records were sealed yeah. Because to not seal them would make him would expose him and would not allow him to cooperate. So Jeffrey Toobin, impli- yeah. who's like the judicial expert on CNN, implies that that probably means he was wired. He was wired and carrying mm. a wire. Yeah. So now people are like, oh, did I talk to him? Oh.
4: <laughs> when did he have a Now, well, what's interesting is Papadopoulos was first interviewed by the FBI about Russian collusion on January twenty seventh. Yeah. You know what's significant about that day? What. It's also the day President Trump asked former FBI Director James Comey for a loyalty oath in the Oval Office. <laughs> Same day. Did Trump know oh. that Papadopoulos talked to the FBI? He may have. If yeah. that's the case, did he talk to the director
2: to say, hey, could you be oh, me friends here to stop boy. this? By the way, that reminds me, Allegedly. we're doing loyalty oaths after the show today. Oh, really? Yeah, really. Sounds fun. We, we, have, have, we haven't done enough of them. Do I have to wear the special armband afterwards? Uh-huh. Darn yeah. it. Man. Yeah. And we'll be, yeah. It's and like we'll, a scarlet letter of sorts. And we'll be doing <laughs> the, the thing where we cut your finger and you no, that's weird.
3: fingerprint in blood. No, we're done. Uh, that's a diabetes test. Yeah.
2: And we'll also spit in our hands and then shake on it.
3: Wow. Now we're doing a DNA test? Yeah, what's no, that? No, 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 no.
2: No. But by the way, I, did you know that I am 7% Greek-Italian? Yeah, yes,
3: yes, yes. Was... We can still smell the Italian bread. Opa!
2: In other news, approximately
4: 126 million Americans may have viewed Facebook posts by Russian trolls, the social media company wrote in a letter. Those posts, authored by a Russian group posing as Americans, are believed to have been an attempt to sow discord in the U.S. In a letter to the U.S. Uh, Senate Judiciary Committee, Facebook General Counsel Colin Stretch, a cool name, has a proper, uh, approximately 28, Stretch. Stretch. 20, 29 million Americans had posts by a Russian group Internet Research Agency placed on their Facebook pages. And that posts reach approximately 126 million accounts after other users shared them. Originally, uh, Facebook said it was thousands. It was just kind of minimal. Yeah. And the number keeps growing every time so they have to disclose. So it's now 124 million.
2: 126 million. And I guess in the United States. Yeah.
4: So what? That's a third of us? Half of us? Yeah. yeah. To sow discord. Yeah. We'll see what happens Stretch wrote that the ads were seemingly intended to amplify societal divisions And pick groups of people against each other Most of the ads appear to focus on divisive social and political messages Across the ideological spectrum Touching on topics from race issues to immigration to gun rights Oh boy Google, they'll uh, Google, Twitter, and Facebook will all be sitting at a judiciary count, uh, committee hearing oh, With fine. the Senate today by 2.30 yeah. Eastern mm. uh, YouTube, which is Google uh, they said they found 18 channels on YouTube with roughly 1,100 videos, a total of 43 hours of content uploaded by individuals who were, we suspect are associated with the Russian effort. Twitter mm. identified 36,000 accounts that generated automated election-related content and had at least one of the characteristics we used to associate
3: with an account in Russia. Rem- remember that movie, The Russians Are Coming? The Russians Are Coming? No. Well, maybe they are. They did. They came. They conquered. We should be worried. Yeah, all all these should. companies are
4: starting to disclose more as we close in on 2.30 Eastern.
2: Don't you think really the way the, like YouTube works, it was really only like 10 people that watched it like a million times? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. What it was reporting. their mom. And
4: yeah. finally, pitchers for both the L.A. Dodgers and the Houston Astros are complaining about the feel of the 2017 World Series
3: baseballs. Ooh. I've heard something about this.
4: The World Series ball is slicker, says Justin Verlander, whose Astros are up 3-2 in the series and who starts on the mound. For game six tonight. Wait, why is he complaining? I know. No doubt you know when you uh, sign a receipt a, uh, a receipt, and you don't know, hold the paper down with your hand and the pen just slides across the paper and the ink doesn't stick to it. You ever done that when you. Yeah, yeah. You have just to, you have to. Yeah. 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 He goes, that's what it's like sometimes trying to sign these balls. So he's actually like autographing yeah. baseballs and he's like, these are really slick. That's They're why he's a Sharpie. So uh he says uh that's how slick the leather is. Well, ball juicing conspiracies are perennial complaint in baseball. They're winding the the yarn and the twine really tight making uh-huh. the ball bounce and jump hard, or jump more off the bat, I guess is they claim they've done in the past. Now they're saying that the balls are slicker, which makes it harder to actually hold on to the ball as you pitch. Yeah. And and the the, the proof they're saying is they're the, still getting uh, a lot of movement in the ball. The astronomical number of home runs, yeah. which usually happens because the baseball doesn't go where you want it to. This so the is the highest is number
3: of home runs, game and it's five, not even over.
4: Game 5 on Sunday had seven home runs. They call them dingers here, but I'm not going to do that. That's ridiculous yeah. mm. to use that sort of terminology here. No they, the dingers. So to humdinger. There's a humdinger. Uh, there's a World Series total of 22 home runs, yeah. the record for the World Series. In 2002, World Series previously had the most home runs for a championship series series with 21 homers in seven games that was between the angels and the giants major league baseball senior vice president of baseball operations said the league has done nothing
3: to change the baseballs you know what i think what i think the russians are behind it you think they're juicing
4: our baseballs they use a slicker brand of baseball it's called soak
3: juice is soak have you ever juiced a baseball Mm. It's good new it's good uh, drinking. Do you remember when we used to juice the baseball players? Yes. Back in two thousand two the no world series we're you complaining just about how many right. home runs that
2: they were hitting. But now we're sitting so who do you hold accountable if you're juicing balls? I don't know. The umpires? Rawlings? Yes. Did the did, did an edict come down
4: from Major League Baseball telling the baseball manufacturers we want juiced baseballs? No. So they wind them tighter so they explode off the bat. No. Give me an extra five feet. I think in the, the funny
2: outfield. thing is the, it seems like the pitchers still have a lot of movement in their pitches. Mm-hmm. They seem pretty accurate. Yeah. Are they blaming the you know, that loose, high fastball that somebody cranks to a home run? Are they blaming that or should they just own the fact that they threw a high fastball? There's there?
4: some <laughs> stats involving uh pitcher it's you Darvish, that's his name, correct? Where mm-hmm. he
2: throws the I think it's a
4: changeup that he throws and it's
3: it's he's pretty crazy. It's
4: not. He has no control over it. But all season long, it's been fine. Right? He's able to
3: strike people out. It's not a problem. Now he throws it and he's like hitting people with it almost. Mm. So. Well, if, you, if you've ever unraveled a baseball, you know that there's a red, hard, rubber tootsie ball. Roll. It's a Tootsie at the, Roll. And I think they are replacing it with a Tootsie Roll Pop. Yeah. I mean, I think It'd it makes more sense.
2: How many bites does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll Or
3: pop? how many home runs does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll Center of the Tootsie Roll Pop? <laughs>
2: You know what is true, though? Uh, something is wrong with the balls. Hmm. Because if you watch the ball hit off of a line drive foul ball into the crowd, it can easily hit six, seven, or eight people. Wow. It used to only hit five, four. Really? Mm-hmm. So it's more—, more Now at- it's taking out a lot of
4: fans. There's more energy. It's more active as it bounces off mm-hmm. one fan to another. Something's wrong with that ball.
3: And if it lands in somebody's nachos or uh, alcoholic beverage, mm-hmm. it has even wider spread. Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. So, there's the conspiracy. Great play
2: by play. Slick baseball. Tonight they're playing again. That's what I've been told. Game six. And uh sadly I've heard uh it's over tonight.
3: No. It what? could be.
2: Well, if you keep dressing Wrong. like that,
3: you're wearing your BYU broadcasting baseball jersey. Well, it does say one seven on the back. But you're so pre- Dodgers and one seven. You're pretending to um Yeah, they'll win one out of seven. <laughs> Boy, the crowds. They've actually Mad lost today. fewer games than the Houston Astros in a postseason. Did you know that, Dr. Matt? No. Wow, sounds like we're grasping for stats at that point. Yeah. Um, so, what are you doing tonight with the
2: Kidlets?
4: Hmm. Me? Yes. Trick or treating? So, go, go you'll,
2: see, you'll go at six? got to go be see, done grandma by eight. Okay. We gotta see Grandma oh, first. see Grandma first. I have to, take, gonna my, hook I have to up. take
4: my daughter to my wife's office because. Oh,
2: cute. What, what are she, we dressing her as? She's a past? ladybug. And what are you going as? Uh, disgruntled father who has to truck the kids all over town all day you could just go as like a carry a big noodle Mm. and put like a big you know piece of cardboard on the top of it so it looks like a fly swatter i could i could
4: and then i take the kids to grandma's house cute and then i bring the kids back so they can go trick-or-treating with the aunt and my wife apparently so i can stay home and give away the 400 pieces of candy my wife bought so
2: you're you're trick-or-treating at grandparents house
4: yeah, you go over and say, here's our costume. She, she nice. makes like special bags of candy. And, that's great. Yeah, that's great.
2: And your son's going as? Spider-Man. Okay. As, he, as he
4: says, Spider-Man Homecoming. Oh, mm. wow. Because the costume has the webbed glider Ooh. attachments. Are you going to let him glide tonight? No, he does not get to jump off the house. He wants to. Darn
2: it. Okay. What are you doing, Jeffrey?
3: I'm going to try to go trick-or-treating with my kids for about 30 minutes and then try to sneak back to the house somehow to start a fire in our front yard with the fire pit while conveniently listening to slash and or watching the baseball game. You're going to actually we'll light it a fire out that way. and the fire is like a distraction fire? <laughs> no. So that you can then watch when it. When we come back, we will sit out on the front porch in front of the hot fire and hand out candy. He's going to torch the shed on the other side of the property <laughs> so you can watch TV over here. Oh, wow. This is I'm a- going to send smoke signals to the, Lo- to the Los Angeles Dodgers.
2: Yeah. That's hard. What are your kids dressed up as?
3: Mm. Uh, my five-year-old is Elena of Avalor. Come again? Wow. Yeah. And my three-year-old is Rapunzel. Oh, neat. Sans wig because it kept getting in her face and she was so not So she's just Rapunzel with a hairless Rapunzel. The She's ma- post-donation of the hair. Right. Rapunzel. She's lost her powers. hmm And uh, my baby is... Stanislav? The Stay puffed Marshmallow Man. Oh,
2: I could just eat him.
3: And he's got the cheeks for it. Does he? Mm-hmm. Just
2: like his dad. Hmm? That was funny. That's great. Um, it's going to be a good night for y'all. I'm just going to sit home and watch
3: the game. I may just put the TV up against the window and pull the blinds up so that I can see the TV from outside. Mm. Maybe that's a good compromise. Do you think no. the wife will go for that? No, she won't.
4: You may, really. uh, you may draw a crowd.
3: Maybe. There's there's an easier way. All you have to do
2: is put an earphone in. Yeah.
3: I would think that was worse because I already cannot hear that well. Oh, that's right. So my wife trying to get my attention. No, but you're going to have the other ear open and then
2: you just put the, then you can listen to the game, but you can shake your head and nod like you're listening to her or everyone else. I think she'll see the earbud hanging from my ear. Well, that's, yeah, you got to hide that a little bit. But then, honestly, after about the first couple hours, she'll she'll quit remembering about it. You have to do the groundwork
4: about, like, this is how you deal with stressful situations is you have the earbud in. And yeah. you can have
2: something else to kind of distract I'm you, pull you out
4: of the situation. It's just a whole— People still will talk to
2: you, even if you're wearing, yeah. like, huge ear muffs or whatever they call them. Constantly. Constantly, yeah. I, just think it'll,
3: I think it'll be okay to just put it up in the window. Yeah, yeah, you'll be fine. And just occasionally glance up at it.
2: Yeah. Mm, sure.
6: Except
3: You're gonna the, miss the game. Yeah, you'll miss the home runs. You're gonna miss the whole game. But just know this: I'll I will be watching you. I you will. mean, you'll be watching the game. Yeah,
2: for you. And then, if
3: you want, text me. I'll I'll fill you in. The Dodgers are favored to win. They sh- they game should win six. They, they
2: better win tonight.
3: Just well, saying, they have yeah. to win tonight, right? So it's they really have no choice. And the Astros have to lose. But I don't know. One, the Dodgers have to. Here's, here's a crazy strategy, but it just may work. Okay. The Dodgers have to score more runs than the Astros. Oh, wow. You have thought this through. They've got to go in there, they've got to give it 110%. Or, the, by the way, or the Astros could score fewer runs than the Dodgers. That could work too. Mm-hmm. So they have a myriad of, of possible outcomes, <laughs> all leading to a Dodgers win. Possibly. Or a loss. Which is more likely. It's not in the cards for them to lose. They're not playing cards, but they're playing ball.
2: Play ball! Hey, uh, Then why do
3: the Dodgers have an ace on the mound? (laughs) Are you done?
2: (laughs) Just trying to go on with the show. Man. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about how pain is not the fifth vital sign. Apparently, what, 25 years ago, doctors started claiming you got to pay attention to pain like it's a vital sign. And that may have led to what we now know as the opioid epidemic. Got to get rid of the pain and all those little smiley, frowny faces, the one to 10 pain scale that you see in every doctor's office. We'll be talking about uh, how uh, just one simple change in how we measure pain may have uh, caused to a lot of overdoses and deaths. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. The Journal of the American Medical Association announced that although average life expectancy of an American is up, the rising opioid crisis has shaved 2.5 months off of This improvement, after years of misinformation and a national epidemic of opioid abuse, we are finally uh, coming to the conclusion or realizing that pain should not be considered one of the top five vital signs when you go see a doctor. So here to speak with us today and help us understand the argument I mean, even first of all, how pain became one of the vital signs, um, and then understand uh, how it's impacted possibly the opioid epidemic, is uh, a, a history of um, is a doctor. Oh boy, Dr. Miles Gart, a former surgeon and president and CEO of GartMD.com, a wonderful website uh, with resources there. Uh, Dr. Gart, thank you so much for helping us today. You bet, Matt. So as the Director of Acute Pain Services at Faith Regional Health System in Norfolk, uh, Nebraska, you, I mean, I just saw it in the hospital, you see it through all these hospitals, the little smiley face, one through ten, rate your pain chart. When did pain become a vital sign? I never knew that.
1: Well, pain became a vital sign in the uh, early 90s, and uh, the American Pain Society coined that phrase and that... Uh, and. After that, it caught on nationally, Joint Commission picked it up, and every hospital in the United States, after the Joint Commission picked up that um, pain needs to be assessed within the hospital setting, uh, hospitals naturally had to find a mechanism to assess pain. Mm -hmm. And in their their quest to uh, assess pain, they relied on the numeric pain score, the zero to 10, as you mentioned um the vital sign was uh put in to stress the point that pain is such a uh, a major problem in hospitals and in the 90s uh there was a consensus that there was a national epidemic of untreated pain now it's true that untreated pain existed in the population of uh Cancer patients, end-of-life care, palliative care, etc. And in those cases, giving uh, patients narcotics uh, is not as big an issue as expanding the narcotic role to patients with other types of pain.
2: Well I mean, that makes right that they're they're dying. So if we can alleviate pain, that seems to help. One idea, though, about using um, a vital, I mean, making it a vital sign would be that every single interaction a doctor or nurse would have with a patient. Once we check vitals, one of those vitals would be, are you feeling any pain? And it seems like all of a sudden we started drawing more attention to pain than maybe we actually wanted to. Right.
1: It's imp- it's important to address pain because intolerable untreated pain has consequences with healing, infection, etc. But when you mix a subjective measure such as pain with objective measures of uh, uh, of the of patient's uh, bodily functions such as pulse and temperature, respirations and blood pressure, you kind of mix apples with oranges. Right. So. So every time a uh, interaction occurs within the hospital with a nurse doing a, um, a rounding on a patient, they take vital signs, and then one of them is, how's your pain? And when a patient says, my pain is eight, there's only, uh, you, you don't have many uh, resources to treat that pain other than trying to get it from an eight down to a to a zero. Right. And, and that's where... That's where the problem comes in, because uh, over time, this treatment of pain became uh, the focus of the patient's experience within the hospital. And the federal government in 2012 started this value-based purchasing as part of the Affordable Care Act. And within it, uh, hospitals get paid or reimbursed on their Medicare money based on a patient's experience within the hospital setting. So when you start putting dollar signs behind the uh, patient experience, and and if the patient's experience within the hospital setting is predicated on how their pain is treated, you could see the focus then from an administrative standpoint and then down to a nursing standpoint on we have to get this pain under control. Hmm. We don't. If we don't, the entire experience that the patient has during the hospital setting uh, becomes poor. Uh, Technically, we can lose Medicare dollars, and this could turn into a lot of money.
2: Boy, so then all of a sudden I need to keep you uh, medicated in order for you to give me a happy, smiley rating so that we can then get reimbursed fully. Exactly. Exactly. Wow, that's a that, that's a systemic problem, isn't it? Then all of a sudden, everything is about managing that expectation, and um, it seems like uh, I mean, I was in the hospital for a gallbladder surgery, and they kept asking me how my pain is, and I'm honestly I. I didn't know what they want. Am I supposed to be pain? I remember asking them, so what do you want me to be at? Am I am I supposed to be pain-free here? And they like, yeah, we'd like you to have no pain. And I'm thinking, well, shouldn't a little pain be normal? Um, I just had surgery. It should be normal.
1: So that's where the educational gap comes in because, uh, you know, few institutions actually prior to you had your gallbladder out, but prior to surgery – sit down with the patient and go over pain expectations. So the pain expectations after surgery should be that you will have some pain. Our goal is to have you at a tolerable pain level. That's different for everybody. But our our goal is not to have zero pain. And if you don't have that conversation ahead of time and a patient is uh, waking up after surgery and you ask the patient how they're feeling and they say, well, I don't know, my pain's at eight, you're gonna, you're gonna tend to uh, treat, and eventually you're gonna tend to over-treat. Mm-hmm. Now, with, with younger, healthy patients in the acute care setting, it's, it, it's not as big an issue, but once you get to high-risk patients, and, and our national population, as you know, is getting uh, more overweight uh, as the decades go by, but you run into patients with sleep apnea, uh, you run into patients that have uh, airway issues and breathing problems. And when you start to sedate them or treat them with narcotics, uh, they don't uh, respond like they would at home to uh, airway issues. In other words, uh, if you're having pain and I treat you with enough narcotics, you'll eventually obstruct in your breathing and and, and not breathe.
6: Mm.
1: and And that has become... A major issue to a point where now the Joint Commission says you know um, you guys need to really evaluate your narcotic usage in the hospitals which is kind of ironic because you know in, in the early in 2001 2002 the Joint Commission was saying we got a national epidemic of untreated pain you really need to treat the pain well now as more and more patients are having complications from the treatment of pain, especially with narcotics, uh, they're saying you, you now need to be extremely careful with your with your narcotic administration in the hospital, and monitor the patients more
2: closely. Hmm. It really it seems like a fairly confusing message to uh, the doctors. Do you, is there a correlation? I mean, are, can you say there's a direct correlation between this paradigm shift of making uh, pain a, one of the five vital signs, and actually the increase in opioid use,
1: I th- without a doubt, I think. I, I think w- once you put pain on, on the level of a objective vital sign with with blood pressure and and pulse and uh, uh, respiration, you uh, you have to treat it. I mean, especially if you attribute a number to it. Right. And, you know, pharmaceutical companies and big pharma who have uh, come out with uh, synthetic opioids and uh, highly addictive opioids, very potent uh, opioids, have capitalized on this fact. And they, through their promotional uh, information, have, have trained physicians, nursing, hospitals to uh, help providers decrease the pain score. Uh, if you just look at the early 90s, when, when pain as a vital sign came out, there were about um, 76 million prescriptions for opioids nationally. And then, you know, over the next 20 years, that escalated to about 220 million. Wow. So there, so there is a direct correlation between, in my opinion, Okay, other people could debate this, obviously. But in my opinion, putting a major focus on pain as a vital sign, having government oversight and regulatory agencies put such a tremendous uh, uh, additional focus on the treatment of pain with the escalation of prescriptions as an outpatient, the escalation of narcotic administration as an inpatient, and uh, the subsequent crisis that we're in today. Hmm. I I mean, most patients' first exposure to narcotics are with an injury or surgery. Right. And if the first medication you're going to give is a a narcotic, then uh, the likelihood of you either continuing that narcotic as an outpatient or continuing the narcotic long-term and becoming addicted to it increases
2: well and does it i mean i i have uh just from my bout with gallbladder surgery and issues i have uh, i have painkillers that i never used never really needed but they were prescribed after two procedures and i'm thinking did i even need it did they they just kind of gave it to me and you know if you have pain here's what you'll take but uh, are there other options, and are there? Is, do you see a better way of handling this?
1: Yes, there are other options. The other options are to uh, use non-narcotic uh, analgesics, and uh, non-narcotic analgesics are uh, acetaminophen, ibuprofen, you know, the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, or you know, acetaminophen is Tylenol, but you start. With a foundation of non-narcotic medication, there are also other medications that help uh, uh, these work better in a kind of synergistically. And then, as a last resort, you should use a, uh, a small dose of a narcotic for for breakthrough pain. Um, nobody knows really how long you need to take a narcotic and what dose you need to take a narcotic to become addicted. Mm. So, if you if, if, if you ask a hundred physicians, you know, if I take my prescription after my gallbladder surgery that I, that I went home and I take it for three weeks, every six hours, two pills, am I going to become addicted? You're not going to get a, uh, nobody current.
2: knows. Yeah,
1: exactly. And now they're finding from a genetic standpoint that there are patients that are genetically predisposed to becoming addicted, sort of like alcohol, alcoholism, uh, some hospitals are even doing blood testing before patients are admitted to see what the uh, predisposition is and whether patients will respond to opiates and how they will respond once they're in the hospital. Yeah. Right now, right now it's not cost-effective. It's about $1,000 to test patients when they come into the hospital. But I, I think the point I'm trying to make is there are patients that if, if you send them home on narcotic prescriptions, that will get addicted, and and some experts say it's up to
2: thirty percent. Oh, cow, that's crazy. And all, right. and really just because too, we were we we started by calling it a vital sign. What what do you recommend, uh, Doctor Miles um, Gart, uh, about families? What can I do as a family member? What can I do as a dad with my kids to make sure that that we're on top of this, that we're managing it, that we're getting the best health care we can.
1: So as a family member, if you have a, uh, you know, a loved one that has uh, severe pain, uh, try to get to the, the cause of it, obviously. I mean, if you're having pain and, and your child ha- has uh, stomach aches, or it, you need to evaluate why, the, why you're having pain to begin with. And there's pain that's episodic, sometimes it's worse, sometimes it's better, and there's pain that's uh, chronic. I mean, you you have patients after car accidents that have uh, broken hips and and broken backs that even after surgery um, will never be pain-free. And those patients are the most difficult patients to manage because you go into a chronic pain category and narcotics taken long-term, eventually you're going to get tolerant to it, need more and more narcotics. So those patients need to be evaluated by specialists that manage chronic pain and that could do different uh, modalities to, for treatment that are that could deal with the pain itself and not treat it with uh, narcotics the other other patients that have more of an acute pain you you treat with your non narcotic medications at first and um, and then take it from there we uh, we're doing something very exciting at, uh, at our facility. We're gonna be rolling out a new pain assessment and management protocol for the hospital. We'll probably, we'll, if, if, as far as I know, we'll be the only hospital in the country that gets rid of the pain scale, the zero to 10 pain yeah. scale. It's gonna be very difficult because uh, when nurses graduate, medical students graduate, they, they all are taught this pain scale. In schools so it's going it's going to be a re-education process but one that I think is necessary in order to manage pain in the hospital setting um, without overtreating it and, and it focuses more on the objective signs of pain that we talked about heart rate, blood pressure, respiratory array, pupil size etc and less with the patient's self-assessment of pain. The only question that a patient will be asked when they're in the hospital is, is your pain tolerable or intolerable? Hmm. That's it. No, no zero to ten.
2: Yeah. I've had that, too, with a kidney uh, stone. Um, boy, intolerable pain and, uh, you know, a little, a little, uh, what was it? I think just a uh, big dose of uh, Tylenol or whatever it was uh, took it all away, greatest thing in the world. But then I've also had just... Tolerable pain, and so when when in your new program, you're going to actually get rid of the chart, basically tolerable or non-tolerable, intolerable, and then um, and then just treat them with like you're still going to give. I'm, I'm assuming painkillers, but right,
1: you're you're going to give ana- you're going to get painkillers, but the doctor's
2: going to be deciding.
1: Well, actually, dosage. it's the the doctor will kind of prescribe a, a set of medications that are, that are tiered, like tier one will be a, a low level, tier two, uh-huh. moderate, tier three, a high level. But when uh, nursing does a pain assessment, you'll actually be able to critically think and, and assess the overall pain of the patient with the tolerable, intolerable, and the, and the other objective signs of pain and then put together a pain management uh, pr- uh, treatment plan. Hmm. So do I do I now escalate my uh, my analgesic therapy? Do I keep it the same? Or do I e- de-escalate because I think the patient's getting over-sedated? It's very rare in a hospital setting that you de-escalate pain medication. Right. Because if, if I'm constantly asking you how your pain is and you always tell me eight, hey, it, it's hard for a provider to then um, back off on the pain medication.
2: Yeah, you, yeah, you, 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 especially when you need to serve them. And, I mean, again, I guess it makes sense, too, to just keep me semi-medicated. <laughs> so when I leave, yeah. I feel really good about my stay. It's amazing. I felt no pain. I but,
1: felt no pain. Right. Yeah. I right. mean,
2: that, that would actually work really well in business. If every time you went to your accountant, if he gave you painkillers, you'd probably always love your accountant. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, sad thing about it is that, you know, it doesn't always mean good health. I guess, too, in the end, they're suffering. I mean, you don't want people to suffer, but you but pain is part of life no matter what. Right. I mean, just as we age, we're going to constantly have aches and pains. Right.
1: I mean, and that's where the 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 opposite side of the argument comes in. It's kind of like it's not humane to let patients uh, suffer. It's not humane to let patients uh, have, quote, untreated pain. Well, that is true, but we're talking about untreated intolerable pain. Right. We're not talking about untreated tolerable pain. When my when my son, you know, rides his bike and falls off his bike and skins his knee and comes in crying, you know, that's, that's pain. But I'm not going to go to the uh, to the uh, pharmacist and get a bunch of oxycontin and start <laughs> giving my giving my son oxycontin because he fell off his bike. Right, it's having pain. So, I, you know, you need to look at it reasonably and come up with uh, uh, you know reasonable solutions to to a problem. And this has been going on for twenty, thirty years now.
2: Yeah. No. And I like I like how you're approaching it too because. Uh, as a parent, I'm worried about it, and for you to bring up that we have this new process of managing the pain and it's tolerable or it's intolerable, um, I, I think it's I think it's great insight, and I'm excited to see how how it goes in the future. Again, uh, thank you, Doctor Miles Gart, for your great work. Uh, you, people can go to the website gartmd.com to get more information on what they're doing. He is again the director of acute pain services at Faith Regional Health System in Nor- Norfolk, Nebraska. We gotta find new ways, folks, don't we, to handle our our pain um, and and two, just the pain of life. Medicating the self medication that we're doing, crazy stuff happening uh, as all of us are trying to avoid pain. Again, there's very real chronic pain um, people out there that are suffering from chronic pain, and that's that seems uh, that seems like where we really ought to be focusing on on long-term healthy solutions as well. We'll continue the journey, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, get through the pains in life. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, it is an interesting discussion about pain. And I do remember in the hospital, they'd keep asking me, so how's your pain? Rate your pain for me. And uh, maybe it's just kind of the neurotic side of me, but I didn't. I mean, it was good. Do you need more painkiller? I don't know. Did you do the smiley face, the uh, slightly slanted downward face? (laughs) Yeah, I did the middle smiley face. But I felt like – I felt this weird pressure because I don't – I didn't know if they wanted me to be – I mean, I I can handle a little pain. So do you want me in a little pain in the hospital or do you want me to be pain-free? I asked them that question. They said, we don't want you to have any pain. Wow. But I'm also thinking, well, hold on. My gallbladder is dying. So I ought to have some pain, right? Maybe emotional pain. Yeah. Emotional pain. So we we are, are we just over-medicating? And is that an unrealistic expectation that people should go through life without any pain? I mean, I've been watching some Netflix shows where people lop each other's hands off. What shows are you watching? I don't know. It was like – it was like
3: – like, I don't know. I've been watching shows – Where people have been lopping each other's records off and, you know... In baseball. Yeah, like perfect game bids they've been lopping off. Yeah, that was close. They almost had a perfect game. Well, almost a no-hitter. They would not have left him in the whole game. Anyway. But a a cowboy back in the day falls
2: off their horse, breaks a rib. They're not... They would just... I guess they would go to whiskey. (laughs) But... Have we just become a bunch of weaklings where we don't tolerate pain as much? Again, I get in the end of days, if you're dying and passing away, they should just medicate you up so you don't feel anything, I think, as long as you're coherent. I mean I'd want to be coherent. I think we've earned that right. Yeah. And there's some good drugs. That can take care of that stuff. And for you, there's Netflix. And for me, there's just a nice little Netflix binge. But I don't know. I think in the end, we all have to maybe learn to tolerate a little bit more pain. Oh, by the way, another interesting little fact of life, just taking um, a Tylenol actually acts as an antidepressant. Did you know that? Really? Mm-hmm. Because mm. it, it dulls the same pain sensors that you would have if you were in emotional pain. So I think a lot of people that are getting into uh, opioids and other drugs, they, they are probably that 30 percent that he talked about that have a potential addiction or a possibility of being addicted to it easily. And they're trying to mask and medicate other things. And we're all medicating with something. It just doesn't mean it's healthy. It doesn't make our lives necessarily any better. So uh, be careful out there, folks. Be careful. Brought to you by the pharmaceutical companies that bring you opioids. Was that a whip? Yeah, I think he was getting whipped. That's not good. And that would be painful. That would be very painful. Uh, up next, we're going to be talking Halloween healthy candy. How do the nutritionists rate the candy? Yesterday, we found out Reese's uh, tends to be running away with the list. We'll see if it's the healthiest choice. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio.
6: Corn,
7: candy corn, I just want my candy corn, candy corn. Oh,
2: welcome back, folks. Candy Our favorite candy corn, corn song. Corn. Actually, Why Jeff's favorite candy corn, corn my song. Candy corn. Oh, it's a Halloween
3: song, but there's got to be better Halloween songs, Jeff. You need to dig deeper into the barrel. Which other one is going to have a piece of bacon and a shark high-fiving each other?
2: Well, none, but... It is candy corn. Uh, Terry's now going to give us a quick update on the healthy, if there is such a thing as the, a yeah. healthier candy, according to the nutritionists of the world. So, the American Heart Association recommends
4: limiting your added sugar intake to 37 grams for men and 25 for women per day. Okay, so is Good that a fun luck.
3: size candy bar? <laughs> How many? That's looking at a fun size yeah. candy bar.
4: So this article on NBC News goes through, and they talk with some nutritionists, and they figure out here's some healthy options for candy on Halloween. Okay, but should we even be trying healthy? No, I mean, should you just toss it out? Oh, some people just can't let just, go, it's and just so all. All I'm trying to help. Okay, okay. okay. Trolley sour bite crawlers. They're like gummy worms. Interesting, but sour. Something you've never heard of? Yeah, they're on the candy aisle. I've seen them. They're okay. they're kind of random, but. At 100 calories and 14 grams of sugar, you can eat eight pieces. Oh, boy. Wow. Right. Reese's, uh, snack size Reese's peanut butter cups. Oh. 111 calories, 11 grams of sugar. That's one peanut butter cup.
3: Oh, no.
2: So we can't have that. But one.
4: it says it's good, though, because the protein and fiber will help keep you fuller longer. Okay, good. <laughs> That's why I feel so sick after eating the whole bag. Yeah. Charms, blow, charms, blow pops. So yeah. ones with
3: bubble gum in them. That's what my wife. Thirteen
4: gets. grams of sugar, so only seventy calories.
3: Yeah, but it's just, it's gross. But it's you can gum keep chewing. So well, you think you, you're for eating. about
2: four minutes, then the gum loses all its flavor, and then your jaw starts to harden. A Snickers miniature. You know the mini ones. Yeah. Four
4: yeah. piece serving. One hundred seventy calories. 18 grams of sugar. So is that one little miniature cut into four pieces? No, that's four mini pieces. Oh, you could eat four little ones.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great.
4: So that's a good serving, right? (laughs) Yeah. No, he's loving. Kit Kat Minis. I was snickering. Kit Kat Minis. These tiny Kit Kats clock in at 170 calories. 70 grams of sugar for four pieces. Again, our experts recommend limiting yourself to one piece to stay under 5 grams of 70 sugar. 70 grams of sugar? No, no, no. 170 calories, 17 grams oh, of 17. sugar. Oh, so they're so just good. Limit yourself, and you maybe maybe you stretch that out for the entire evening. You have four pieces of candy.
2: You know what? It's not happening. You know
4: what I'm saying? This, this is un-American. Un- Tootsie Roll minis are on the list. They're 150 calories, 19 grams of sugar, but no protein or fiber. No, duh. That's why you have a hot dog. Those
3: minis are 150 calories?
4: Yeah. And they're rock hard, too. Candy corn got the worst. 28 grams of sugar in 19 pieces of candy corn. But nobody eats just 19 because they're so small. They just grab a handful and go for it. Yeah. And And they're just
2: straight sugar. Wouldn't you rather have a Snickers? Yeah. Oh, I should have had a Snickers bar. Great stuff, folks. That's your healthy uh, candy update in preparation for tonight's Hallowed Eve. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend.
1: Now
2: on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Terry South and Jeff Simpson. The gang has gathered. Happy Halloween to you all. You look great, Jeffrey. Jeff's all dressed up as a a Los Angeles Dodger. And hopefully that's not scary. No. The funny thing is, I thought you would dress more like a baseball player, but you are just dressed like a guy that is trying to dodge traffic
3: (laughs) in your Prius. (laughs) I don't have a Prius. I have had a Prius. You have a Solara. That's true. I, Solara. Hmm? I don't know. Um, good to
2: good to have you here. Uh, tonight is the big night. When the kids go out, they grab their little Halloween bags and start knocking doors f- to uh, see if they, they'll either have to do a trick or you'll just give them a treat. The funny thing is, I guess, in the end, uh, there's probably not a lot of people doing tricks, right? It's just a lot of treating. It's all about the treat. Whatever happened to the trick side? What kind of
3: tricks are you referring to?
2: Well, didn't that used to be the game is you'd have to do
3: a trick to get a treat. I've got an example for you. Yeah. In the film, Meet Me in St. Louis. Hold on. Are you referring to a film now? Yes. Okay. But it's a movie that's typically associated with Christmas, right? Judy Garland sings, Have Yourself a a Merry Little Christmas, right? Yes. There's a scene where they're celebrating Halloween and it's one of the creepiest rituals I've ever seen. What? All these kids gather in the neighborhood and they're throwing like piles of wood and all sorts of toys and everything into this big pile in the middle of the street and lighting it on fire. And apparently that was kind of an acceptable way of celebrating Halloween. Oh, yeah. See, you're too young.
2: But back in the day, we used to light everything on fire. But it seemed sanctioned. Oh, it was. You, you used to. I remember vividly my parents and grandparents saying, "Matt, get the gasoline out of the garage. We're going to celebrate Hallowed Eve." Yeah, and I'd go grab and lug, you know, this huge can of fuel, and then we would slowly build a bonfire to um, to eliminate the dark forces from the neighborhood.
3: Crazy. See, now you can't get away with anything like that. No, I mean, you get in trouble if you don't say thank you mm-hmm. for the treats. When you go trick-or-treating. Yeah. That's the worst thing you could do.
2: That's the trick. We used to go to my friend's house and we'd watch a scary movie like an old movie of Frankenstein. You'd watch it for 20 minutes and eat your candy and then you'd go get a carameled apple and then you'd go – you know, you just go door to door and people would just love you and give you all of this food that was handmade – caramel balls. Oh, it was so wonderful. And yeah, then,
3: you can't eat handmade stuff. Not anymore. Or now you've got to go get your food X-rayed. It's got to be FDA approved. Yeah. Non-GMO verified. <laughs> you've thought this through. By the way, if you look at packaging, food packaging. Yeah. If it says non-GMO, you can't try, you can't take that to the bank. It has to have that non-GMO verified stamp. Yeah. Whick. Right on the bag. Stampage. Yeah. No, I agree. You can, what, do you, what do you trust anymore?
2: That's the thing we got to get to. Plus, you know what else we're going to talk about today? Emotions. Blah. Your kids are going to have a lot of emotions. So we're going to be speaking with a psychiatrist, Dr. Frank Ninovagi, one of our favorite uh, favorites from Yale University. And he's going to be walking us through how to make sense of your child's emotions. Tonight, Ooh. you'll see a lot
3: of emotions. Your, uh, your daughter, Rapunzel? My older daughter came home after having watched a video at church that was very disturbing to her. Yes. And she was full of emotions. So this is, we're going to show you how
2: you can actually make sense of the emotions and use them as almost like vital signs
3: for I'm, how to handle somebody's emotions. You talked about treats or tricks? I'm going to try to trick you here in a minute. It's
2: not going to happen.
3: We've played Matlibs several times. Mm-hmm. We've got a special Halloween edition. And this time, I think I've got you. Okay. It's going to be more difficult well, for you. I
2: think so far you haven't, you haven't won one yet. Not to be rude, but well, I, this one, tonight, are you, are you feeling lucky? This one will be won. Okay. You actually might because you went to your area of strength, movies, <laughs> which is my area of weakness. Even though you watch more than I do. You say I watch more, but I actually am not actually watching the screen as much as you are. Hmm. You actually remember names, stories, plots, everything. I just remember, hey, I think I saw a little bit of that. Hmm. Let's get to the headlines now with Terry South. Speaking of getting a little bit of it, what should we be paying attention to, Terry? Democratic lobbyist
4: Tony Podesta is stepping down from his firm, the Podesta Group, after finding himself a target of special counsel Robert Mueller's ongoing investigation into the Trump campaign's possible collusion with Russia, political reports. Podesta was reportedly sucked into the Mueller probe during an investigation into the finances of President Trump's former campaign manager, Paul Manafort. Manafort organized a PR campaign on behalf of a nonprofit called the European Center for Modern Ukraine Political Rights. Podesta Group was one of the several firms that were paid to work on the PR campaign to promote Ukraine in the United States. Podesta's brother was the campaign manager for Hillary Clinton. That's why the name sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah, the brother has no connection to this because he didn't help out with this lobbying firm. But
2: Podesta's stepping down, and this is just but wasn't, how this kind wasn't of works. Wasn't this firm the same firm that paid that they paid for the dossier? No, this is whole, That was
4: called Fusion GPS. Fusion GPS, not Podesta Group. It's different. Okay, so uh, just it just shows you how how Moeller's probe is going in, and there's there's all these sort of side like tangents yeah. that happen, and these sort of people on the side are also getting tied into this because they're involved in things and taking money and all sorts of stuff. So but he the president's down. not worried about it. No, it has nothing to do with him. Just all the people that worked for him that he hired. That you know, maybe they hired bad people. Yeah. You never know. I mean, whole yeah. background checks and security thing. I mean, they were done but, I mean, really fast. He's, he's a
2: business leader, and yeah. he's known to, for his business smarts. It just seems like ugh, maybe not as smart who, on the who, business who, who end. Who
4: praises him for the business smarts?
2: Uh, all of his followers. And his book, and his kids, and well, President Trump. Well, no, and 40-whatever and percent of the people that voted for that him. That listened to President Trump
4: talk on his TV show about how great he was at business.
2: Yeah, but I just saying the source of the information
4: seems to be coming from one place. Well, well, of course. Yeah. It didn't come from his taxes. Well, no, because he hasn't released those, so we don't know. Yeah. But it did get him elected. Well, it sure did. Speaking of, just 33% of Americans surveyed in the last uh, Gallup poll approve of President Donald Trump's job performance, a new low for him. 62% of the approximately 150,000 or 100 uh, or 1500 American surveyed said they disapprove of the 45th president's performance thus far. Trump's previous low in the Gallup poll came in mid-August when his rating sank to 34%. Ooh. He's now at 33. <gasps> that approval rate is lower than President Obama, Bill Clinton, George H.W., or Ronald Reagan ever received during their tenures. Really? Yeah. Mm. The poll was conducted before Monday's news of the uh, Mueller indictments of former Trump campaign staffers. Mueller, not Mulder. Not Mulder. It would be probably a better story if it was Mulder. But it so, it aliens, did, but. so
2: does he worry about that? No, because it's a fake poll. Oh, that's fake news. Yeah, it's fake. Except for the people that took the survey. Yeah, it's the poll that shows that
4: everyone loves him is the one he likes. Well, because that's the real news. Apparently, I'm try- okay. I'm starting to see how this pattern works.
2: This is a gr- this is a
4: great pattern. In some grim news, doctors are reportedly racing to save the leg of Chicago Bears tight end Zach Miller, who damaged an artery after dislocating his knee in an Ooh, attempt to make a yeah. touchdown during Sunday's game against the New Orleans Saints. Vascular surgeons are trying to save Zach Miller's leg, not just his career. Ooh. Tweets: ESPN's Adam Schefter.
2: That's scary.
4: And the the bad part was they took the touchdown away too cuz apparently it wasn't a catch.
2: Was was he bleeding on the field? No. It's just it's all internal. It was all internal. He just he
4: he grabbed it. He went for a it was didn't look that weird. Just his leg sort of folded underneath him as he was going for this catch. And he made the catch but apparently it wasn't. Can a, you and so away, it then, it, then
2: it severed an artery. Yeah. And he's sitting there just holding his leg because he dislocated his knee. I know, but in your head, you're just like, "Ah, oh, boy, I'm going to need a little knee surgery." Yeah. And the next thing you know, you may lose your leg. Yeah. So they're trying to save his That's leg. Scary. So speak.
3: So, I'll Jeff, watch. you watch out, dude. Jeff's wearing spikes. Yeah, I saw that. Ooh. He's wearing his cleats. I almost lost my leg this summer. Remember? That's right. When you, for like yeah. two months, my my leg was had this otherworldly ooze and what did, from it. what did we learn? What did we learn? About sliding into second base with short shorts. It was third base.
2: Third base with short shorts. Don't do it. Yeah. Don't do it. That's the sure way to get an infection.
3: That's why I bought these baseball pants that I'm wearing right now, and
2: they look wonderful except for the blood stains. And <laughs>
4: some information for Halloween. Yes, the long weird and or the long weird history of trick or treating is what it's called. <laughs> okay, but let's learn. About it goes this. into like the Celts held a feast called uh, Samhain. S a m h a i n. It was an observation of the harvest, the end of the summer, and the turn of the year. Okay. Right. So what they said is you hold the sur- you hold the celebration in May because after that the the year turned to cold, fruitless, and dark days of winter. The feast was also an opportunity to contemplate death and to remember those who had gone before. Hmm. So uh, they felt like during the latter half of the year, so May on, that the thin be- the veil between death and life was thinner, right. you could have more connection yeah, with no, your right. ancestors. I totally am with you. Uh, and so bonfires were lit to ward off the coming winter darkness, but also to sacrifice livestock and crops and other things as they, to their ancestors, right? So they okay. did this. So to so, those it's, that have gone before. Right, so they, and uh, some scholars, uh, because of the long historical association between the Celts and the Romans, have also linked the modern observance of Halloween to the Roman festival honoring Pomona, a goddess of fruit trees... During that festival, people practiced uh, very, you know, they had different celebrations. One of the games that they played is really close to bobbing for apples. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. And, and originally it was believed that whoever could bite the apple first would get
2: married soonest. Whoa. Whoa. Wow. See, that's where someone's going to, like, lose a finger. I thought yeah. it
3: was you had to bite off the stem with your teeth and then no. tie it in a knot.
2: No, that's, that's a different game. Hmm. They play that somewhere else.
4: And then this article points to the Christian celebration of All uh, All Saints Day. It kind of turned to All Hallows' Eve, All Hallows' Day, All Halloween, you know. And that's yeah. so the word just sort of evolved from All Saints Day and observances around this. Um, All Souls' Day was November 2nd, A.D., what, 1000? Through the Middle Ages, this three-day period was celebrated with masses, but other traditions of, appe- of appeasing the spirits... Remained, and so that's kind of where the spooky elements of Halloween oh, okay. come from. Yeah, um, it goes on. There are practices that continue today in England, for example. One of the practitioners on All Hallows' Eve was to go door to door begging for small currant biscuits called soul cakes. Do
2: you have any soul cakes?
4: Which were offered in exchange for <laughs> prayers. While not all scholars agree, it's part of a popular belief that this practice echoes in today's modern trick or treating. Oh, interesting.
2: So you'd go, you'd go say, "Do you have a soul cake?" And then I'll pray for you. Yeah. Okay, it seems a little different today. <laughs> yeah. In Ireland, people would walk the streets carrying candles
4: and hollowed-out turnips, the precursor of today's jack-o'-lanterns. Oh, interesting.
2: Yeah.
4: Uh, let's see. It came to the U.S. Halloween, however, did not make its way to the U.S. until 184- in the 1840s when waves of immigrants from the Celtic countries of Ireland and Scotland arrived. These immigrants brought with them the tradition of Halloween, including dancing, masquerading, fortune-telling games in some places, the practice of parading in the neighborhood, asking for treats such as nuts, fruits, and coins. Hmm. By the 19th century, some of the stores began offering commercially made Halloween candy. In North America, observance of Halloween also included everything from minor pranks to some major vandalism, as well as a lot of drinking, as you can imagine. By the early 20th century, however, many municipalities and churches attempted to curb this behavior by turning Halloween into a family celebration with children's parties. And eventually, trick-or-treating was as we know it today. And then it becomes commercialized and we all get cavities. Really? Really? That's kind of a downer way to end that. The quick history of Halloween, which all leads to dentists. Is it really commercialized? It's it is a huge, huge, like just fraud perpetrated upon all the country by the National Dental Association. By the way, I went to the dentist yesterday. And what did he say? Brush? No, he said I'm I'm nailing it. Need to eat more candy. Said
2: Matt, I'm proud of you. His kid isn't getting into college because of you. Forty eight years, you figured out how to do this brush thing. and but there's just nothing more uncomfortable than them scratching your teeth right all of my teeth ached last night i don't know why it makes no sense right because what did i ever
4: do to them so do you think the odds of this being a big dental scam are high or do you think that no. see dentists are nice they're not trying to hurt you they're not trying to encourage they you love to do something Halloween, that way
2: no because this is where this is this is where they make their money do they, do they think that way? Yeah. In January they are going to you will be paying for tonight. Wow. It's a good time for them. I mean, it makes us makes it sound like they're evil. No, just But what makes them evil isn't that. It, what makes them evil is that they poke you with metal pokies <laughs> till your eyes water and then they're like, You okay? Well, yeah, my legs are just super tense, and I'm twisted into a ball as you're scratching my teeth. Except that all comes out as
4: because
2: you get your mouth full of like dental yeah. equipment.
3: <clears throat> yeah. Did you at least get to watch the TV in the ceiling? I did, hmm. but I
2: couldn't. I didn't have my
3: glasses on, so I couldn't see it. Ah, I saw lots of flashes, though. So uh, yes, I want to try to trick you, trick away. Okay, so we've played several rounds of. What are we calling it? Matt libs. Matt libs. Yeah, <laughs> I think three, and I've yet to fool you. Yeah, but I think I've got you. I got this a steel trap right here. I've got still you right tra- where I want you. Okay. So uh,
2: six films. Boy, see that part of the deal is you've now made it six. So you've increased your odds dramatically.
3: Usually six, you have three. Six scary films. Okay. And instead of looking for the one that is the real film, you have to find the one that is the film that is not. The real film. Okay. So, you gotta find the fake film. All right, fake it. Are you ready? I'm ready. Soul Cake. I'm just kidding. That's not... <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. However, it is a song by Sting. Oh, yeah. We'll play it as we go to break. Okay. First one. The Lift. A mysterious, intelligent elevator begins a murderous spree to those who dare go near the elevator or use it. Okay. The Lift. Got it. House. House. A schoolgirl and six of her classmates travel to her aunt's country home, which tries to devour the girls in bizarre ways. Mm. The house, not the aunt, just to clarify. <laughs> Good. House. Rubber. Okay. tire comes to life and kills people with its psychic powers. Okay. Rubber. Surly. The world's worst clown sets out to take revenge on those who gave him the moniker. Surly. (laughs) Okay. That kind of sounded like Surly the Clown. Yes. (laughs) Pin. P-I-N. Okay. A brother and sister treat their doctor father's therapeutic dummy like a brother. Wow. Pin. And number six. Yes. Meat love. (laughs) Two pieces of meat fall in love. Meat love. Meat
2: love. Holy cow. So the names of the the shows are Lift, The House, Rubber, Surly, Pin, or Meat Love. By the way, they all have one or two word names. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, well, that's easy. This is an easy one.
3: (laughs) Really? Mm Mm-hmm. You think you know the answer? I do. Which film is the fake film? Well...
2: Now, let me be clear. The name of the film, you the description of the film, you gave an accurate description of every name. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. So you accurately described Surly.
3: Mm-hmm. So can you reread Surly
2: for me sure. again? Surly,
3: the world's worst clown, sets out to take revenge on those who gave him the moniker. And
2: I am to pick the, the one that is not the real movie. Correct. Yeah. It's going to be Surly. And why? Because Surly is one of your favorite words. (laughs) And uh, you you made a clown movie about the worst clown and called him Surly. And Surly is a word that is in your vocabulary.
3: And you've used it on the show. I made a film about Surly, a clown? You have used the word Surly. Okay. I've, used, I've also used every other yeah, one no, of I'm these words. Sure i Surly. Okay. I mean, Meat
2: Love could be easily up there. And who's going to believe a, a scary show about a tire? And would they have ever called it rubber? Probably. But the reality is I'm going to go with answer number four. Surly is the fake film. Okay. For we will find out later
3: if you are right.
2: <sighs> so we have to wait. At the end of this I'm gonna hour, give you, folks.
3: I'm going to give you time to change your answer in case you start to second-guess yourself.
2: But everybody else, text us at Dr. Matt Show. At Dr. Matt Show, if you want to guess, is it Lift, The House, Rubber, Surly, Pin, or Meat Love? The movie that is not actually a Hallowed, Hallowed Eve movie. By the way, here's Sting Song Soul Cake. Awesome stuff, folks. Uh, up next, we're going to be talking about making sense of emotion with Dr. Frank Ninovaggi. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You know, we all know that in order to avoid cavities and keep your teeth healthy, you need to brush your teeth daily, right? In order to maintain a healthy weight, you need to avoid fatty foods and exercise daily. But what if you want to stay emotionally healthy? Well, uh, Yale's associate attending uh, physician, Dr. Frank Ninavaji. he's a psychiatrist that uh, practices at, um, uh, there at Yale, and we love him. We have him on the show all the time. He's an attending physician at Yale New Haven Hospital and assistant clinical professor of child psychiatry at Yale University School of Medicine um, and we we love having him on because he's he's a he's enlightening but he also helps us understand some topics that a lot of us seem to overlook. Today we will be talking about his new book Making Sense of Emotion: Innovating Emotional Intelligence. Dr. Frank Ninavaji, thanks for being with us again.
8: You're welcome and thank you for having me.
2: We love having you. Now um, it seems like to me, in fact, last hour we, we talked about the fact that for years they were saying that uh, pain is the fifth, um, uh, what do they call it, vital sign. But what I've always found, Frank, is that paying attention to people's emotions, it really it's a, it really is an indicator, right? It's a major indicator of their well-being emotionally.
8: I think that's right. And I would go even further in saying pay, paying attention to one's own emotion is uh, critical, crucial, because that really comes first. And I've stressed that in the book. And that is what I kind of um, emphasize as possibly the king and queen of uh, emotions, empathy. Hmm which uh, empathy generally is understood to mean being able to sense and apprehend and understand and feel other people's emotions, but it begins with yourself.
2: Because knowing yourself would actually inform knowing others and understanding others.
8: I think that's um, very true, because to to thine own self be true. Not sure where that originates, but I think it's found in all great religions and philosophies and systems of uh, wisdom. Yeah.
2: No, I think it was Ham- That was in Hamlet,
8: wasn't it? Shakespeare? Do um, thine own self be true. Hamlet. Talk, talk act about... Two. Act two. Was it act two? Talk right, about... Do thine own self be true. Exactly. Which means do not be false. And then you know what he says? And I just... It's really um, uncanny, as they say. And the second part of that is, and that means do not be false to others.
2: Mm. Yeah, because we do fake out or try to fake people out with our own emotions. We fake ourselves out with our own emotions. Like you, you, when somebody's upset and you're like, are you okay? And they're like, I'm fine. You know they're not. You sense they're not. But, but so this emotional uh, intelligence, this ability to read your own emotions and the emotion of others – it, this is this is an essential part it seems to living and to life to really get the most out of life
8: it is it is and it, it is and <clears throat> I, I make that point and uh, for me it's kind of a, a hidden invisible reality that's present ever present, but we don't see what's already there and my point And the point of the book and my point in writing this for the last five years and trying to grasp it over my lifetime and seeing it over the last 43 years of clinical practice. And this is a clinical book, meaning from my experience palpably with human beings from three years old up to 85 years old, real people it's that the emotions are really there but they're not recognized Mm. they're not identified they're not uncovered and then connected to conscious awareness conscious life once they are and it's a long process once they are people's lives are enriched and people are empowered to be more integral to have more what I call, and now I'm writing something new, and I call it, and this is part of emotional intelligence, <clears throat> authentic integrity. Authentic integrity as a prime value, and I even elevate it to a virtue, hmm. of the virtue of wholeness.
2: Authentic okay? integrity?
8: Yes, authentic integrity is wholeness and approximating being an unimpaired human being. Approximating because it's a journey. It's mm. a constant, consistent journey which is never achieved but always strived toward.
2: That's powerful.
8: It's uh, extremely powerful. I tremble when I think about it and feel it. Feel, feel emotion emotionally grasp it, and try to live it moment to moment.
2: Can you teach us what is the difference between um, a feeling, an emotion, a mood? Because it seems like we sometimes use them interchangeably.
8: That's a, such an excellent question, because you're absolutely right, as usual, <laughs> when you pose the question, brilliant perception, insightfulness. <clears throat> there, The words... Emotion, feeling, affect, A-F-F-E-C-T, and mood are used interchangeably, but technically they really mean something different. There is a kind of nuanced difference, but it's a different experience. It's a different phenomenon, and and this is the difference. Technically, when you really do read, quote-unquote, the literature, people who are in psychology, you know, Ph.D. psychologists, yeah. when they write, or psychiatrists, like myself, an M.D. psychiatrist, when they write, they use these words in a more precise fashion. Now, <clears throat> emotion technically denotes, means, an unconscious extremely brief and by that brief I mean one twenty-fifth of a second Mm. micro expression sensation that is detectable and measurable on the face and Paul Ekman who was a, a PhD psychologist in the 70s 80s 90s wrote about this And he wrote about it, and he characterized that there are about seven emotions, and his work is world famous. It's sort of based on what Charles Darwin, roughly in in 1872, uh, when he kind of scientifically tried to write about uh, the expression of emotions uh, in uh, man and animals, talked about emotion as a a sort of biological phenomenon, which is very, very important and can be measured. So Paul Ekman wrote about emotion as a micro-expression detectable on the face, and also we detect it, but unconsciously. Emotion is an unconscious expression. Hmm. When it when that sensation and i make this clear in the book when the sensation of emotion reaches neurologically the brain especially the prefrontal lobes the prefrontal cortex of the brain the front of the brain it goes to various areas and i have delineated them in the book then it gets evaluated with meaning, and then that emotional sensation is given a meaning, it turns into a perception, and that emotional perception then is called a feeling. Mm. And it's the feelings that we label as happiness, sadness, uh, <clears throat> unhappiness, etc., etc., etc. So emotion is unconscious, feeling is conscious.
2: And and I guess conscious also becomes more subjective? Very subjective. So happiness is an interpretation of that sensing emotion we felt.
8: Yes, especially socially and contextually and from our experience from birth to our present chronological age. Then... The term affect, A-F-F-E-C-T, is used by psychiatrists to describe the emotional and feeling expression that appears on the face of a patient at any moment. Hmm. So if the patient is crying, we say the patient's affect appears sad. If the patient is laughing, we say the patient's affect Appears happy. Hmm. Then a psychiatrist, ordinarily in terms of a psychiatric evaluation, will talk about the patient's mood. And the mood means what the patient has described to the evaluator as his or her group of feelings that have occurred over a relatively long period of time. For instance, the patient may say, I have felt sad and depressed for the last two months. Hmm. So we say the patient's mood is a mood of sadness.
2: That's interesting.
8: That's That's over time. That's a long period of time. What's so really, the difference between those four words?
2: Emotion, subconscious, kind of uh, un, unnoticed. Not in
8: conscious awareness.
2: Yeah, not in conscious awareness. Feeling in conscious awareness. Yes. Effect is what we express or show on our face. Yes. Mood is the long term description of our feelings over time. That's exactly right. Now, is tell me why any of this matters to i mean because you just gave very clinical uses of every term but why would it matter for me to become to really learn to become effective at making sense of these emotions and these these feelings and affect and understanding moods
8: it helps the individual who knows these uh, differentiations to understand him and herself better and not misinterpret For instance, I'll use the term burnout. That is very popular nowadays Um, as a term that's used because it's so uh, popular, pervasive, and um, common. Uh, I think we talked about this last time I was on the show, and the statistic is something like 63.4% of physicians... Mm-hmm. are known to have experienced uh, or are experiencing uh, occupational burnout. That's pretty critical yeah. and crucial. And the Mayo Clinic and Yale and Stanford uh, Hospital University have specific uh, programs uh, analyzing, detailing, documenting, and treating this. I have been appointed as one of the... Uh, 10 physicians on the Wellness and Physician Engagement Committee here at Yale New hmm. Haven Hospital uh, to uh, address burnout and wellness. Yeah. It's because it's so pervasive. Now, I went to a conference two weeks ago on resilience and wellness, and burnout was discussed, and there were 30 Yale physicians. They were all MD physicians at Yale, highly intelligent people. And I, they weren't psychiatrists. There were only three psychiatrists out of 30. <clears throat> and I heard the term burnout used and possibly uh, used very loosely. A lot of them were saying, oh, uh, I think I'm burnt out. Or I know, or every doctor I know is burnt out. Or every doctor I've met in uh, New York City is burnt out. And 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 this was sort of like you know when I talk about ADHD. Yeah, right. (laughs) It's as if every child in America has ADHD, and I believe (laughs) that's wrong and incorrect. Right. So I thought about this, and I've written on burnout. As a matter of fact, I have an article on PsychologyToday.com on burnout, and actually, I'm trying to clarify this burnout is a syndrome. If there is the syndrome of burnout it actually means that you've experienced this mood for months and months and months and you are impaired as opposed to the feeling state which is transitory of burnout and then it would be more correct to say well Today, I was overly exhausted, and I felt sort of zoned out, so today I was burnt out.
2: Oh, interesting, yeah.
8: Yeah, and therefore, I am not self-identifying as a burnt-out doctor. (laughs) Right. I was just tired today, overly tired, but that doesn't mean I'm labeling myself as a burnout, and now I'm going to live up to it.
2: That's, that's I guess life. that's it, huh? That part of the key to this is becoming aware of what is my feeling, what is my long-term mood, and differentiating. Right.
8: Just because your child doesn't do his homework one or two days or a week or two doesn't mean your child has ADHD. Right. Just because your child loves to play doesn't mean your child is hyperkinetic. Right. You have to really examine this in great detail,
2: yeah, it's almost like it's the, it's a language issue, it seems like, to yeah. some degree. We don't have a deep enough vocabulary to know that there are emotions, feelings, of affect, and mood.
8: Power of babble. That's confusion it. Confusion of tongues.
2: Yeah. Is it um, – one of the things I know that you get into in the book is the fact that we also have to – we have to have awareness of these things. But then, to some degree, we also have to start gaining the tool set – to start changing some of the feelings and reinterpreting what we're going through and maybe creating a healthier feeling for ourselves than just going with what we're feeling.
8: <clears throat> the, I think a, a key word you used is reinterpreting. What precedes that is the word pause. One of the words in our vocabulary that I love is the word pause. Uh, First is pause. In other words, stop, pause. Pause and start to think about what you feel, think about what you're experiencing, and then calmly and quietly reevaluate your experiences. See if the labels you have put on your experiences. Are actually correct accurate if they if your evaluations are precise enough are you talking about moods are you talking about feelings is what you're talking about simply transitory and passing or is it long-term is it disabling and impairing Is it really distressing and affecting your, in psychiatry, we use the word, biopsychosocial life, Mm. all aspects of your life? Or is it kind of like a fly in the ointment, which you can um, repair if you just do, you know, make a few corrections, or maybe more than just a few corrections? You have to pause and assess and reassess, and then reinterpret and then start to regear, reorient yourself and your life.
2: Yeah. No, I, th- I think this is why, Frank, we need you on. Uh, we're going to have you on uh, over the next three months talking more and more and more about your book because it really is. Uh, it's so, I think, essential and really it's so deep. We need, we need as many tools as we can get so we can really dive deep into this. We will have Frank again. Thank you so much, Frank, for being with us. The book is Making Sense of Emotion, Innovating Emotional Intelligence, the power just of the little lesson we had of distinguishing between your emotions, your feelings, your affect, and your mood, understanding that those are all, you know, different. Also understanding that you have a vested interest in, in learning to become empathic and reading these differences, uh, and in yourself first, work on yourself first, right? To thine own self be true first, and then that'll help you influence others. We appreciate Dr. Frank Ninavaji, and we will continue the discussion up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you become the good in the world. Today is Halloween, my friends, and I'm sure you all have a favorite Halloween memory. And here at the studio, we do too. One of our producers, Leanna Tan, joined with us with some of uh, you know, our other student producers to talk about their favorite Halloween memories. The
0: day is upon us. Another day of tricks, treats, and all things haunted. You know, the traditional thing to do right now would be to start whipping out the ghost stories. I thought about telling you a nice, spooky ghost story... But I was thinking back on my history of Halloweens, and it was reconfirmed to me that I'm a scaredy cat. I remember all those times as a kid waiting for my older sisters to trick-or-treat in front of me in case anything jumped out at the doorstep. Or the Halloween where my neighbor took me through a cheesy haunted house, and the second I saw a skeleton, I started crying and some worker had to escort my sisters and I out a secret back way. And of course, there was the time when all my friends snuggled up to watch a scary movie, and I slipped downstairs to read a classic literature book in the basement, all by myself instead. Needless to say, if I were to tell a ghost story, I'm pretty sure I would be scaring myself more than anyone else. If I had my way, Halloween wouldn't have scary ghost stories at all. I would put the sheet over my head, flip on the flashlight, and just invite all my friends over to reminisce in non-spooky memories. So, shh. Come close as we tell you Halloween memories.
9: My freshman year of college, my Arabic class gave me the nickname of Party Girl when I went to 12 parties the weekend before Halloween. 12 parties in two nights. What can I say? I love Halloween and parties. By the time Halloween itself rolled around, I was pretty near out of costumes. I'd been a witch, a Barbie, Amelia Earhart, an 80s high schooler, Frida Kahlo, a superhero, and someone run over by a car. So my best friend Liberty and I decided to go as a pineapple and a strawberry on Halloween night. Easy, simple, no stress. We got together and made headdresses out of green paper. I, the strawberry, had a kind of leaf crown thing. Liberty, the pineapple, had a towering monstrosity of a headdress. Think the Leaning Tower of Pisa, made of green cardstock, attached tenuously to a headband which was then taped to Lib's head. We finally got everything together, only to realize Liberty couldn't drive without opening the sunroof and sticking her leafy dome out the top. Upper leaves would blow off the headdress as we drove around, necessitating many stops in traffic to grab errant pieces that had blown out of the car. To be honest, I don't even remember what we did or where we went that Halloween night. All I remember is how much fun it was to stop traffic again and again as the great pineapple fiasco of 2014 unfolded.
10: Halloween is one of my favorite holidays. To be single. Think about it. Holidays are the worst for those of us who do not have a significant other. During Thanksgiving, my family asks me questions like... So, can we be expecting someone else for Thanksgiving dinner? And the question at Christmas is always, should we add someone else to the secrets analyst? New Year's is probably the worst. Are you bringing someone over this year, or will this be another year without fireworks? Was that fireworks or shots fired? Two Halloweens ago, I was single, and I decided to be a Tinder profile for Halloween. I was hoping to swipe a few tricks and treats around my college campus and at work. Happy Halloween! I walked around from class to class that day feeling like a boss. People were taking pictures of me. People came up to me and asked to take pictures with me. I was feeling pretty great and confident. Although I got a lot of cat calls and whistles and a few phone numbers.
6: Hello, this is Lauren.
10: I ended the great All Hallows Eve just how I started single. On the bright side, because school is in session, my family did not call and ask me if I found someone to do a couple's costume with.
11: One of my favorite Halloween costumes of all time was my cowgirl costume. I had red cowgirl boots and a matching red cowgirl hat. That Halloween, my brother was also a cowboy with a black mustache drawn on his face. You know, the curly kind that spirals in the ends. Even my youngest baby brother was a cowboy too. My mom even made wanted posters for my brother. When he got off the bus after school that day, he found his wanted posters taped to streetlights and on our front door. They featured my brother grimly staring into the camera. The theme went well except for my sister who had decided, very inconveniently I might add, that she wanted to be a bird. Yep, a bird. Okay, it wasn't any bird, it was a swan. Better now? Do you remember the Barbie of Swan Lake Princess movie? Well, it had just come out so all the little girls wanted to be the Swan Lake Princess. Except that my sister wanted to be a swan instead of the human princess. So my mom gave in and made a swan costume. It had a felt black and white beak, angel wings with white feathers glued to them, and a plastic pink crown with feathers sticking out of it. Although I never thought about it at the time, I never realized how much effort my mom put into not only making our Halloween costumes, even the outrageous ones like a swan, but also how much effort she put into Halloween in general when we were kids. So I guess what I'm trying to say is shout out to all the moms out there who are making their kids' Halloween dreams come true. Wasn't that much nicer
0: than hearing about children mysteriously disappearing, or zombies attacking, or ghosts haunting? (sighs) Happy Halloween, everyone! And remember, Halloween isn't just about tricks, treats, and spooky stories. It's about creating good memories. Well, I'm Leanna Tem, and that's my little tangent.
2: welcome back friends to the Matt Townsend show yes it is that time to uh, to share with all y'all the answer to our Matt Libs game earlier uh, Jeffrey and I was we were playing a game of Matt Libs where he gave me the name of six movies each movie uh, five of the six movies were all real titles of scary movies and then he snuck one in there. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I had to guess which
3: one was the real was the was the made up movie, and it just so happens I chose Surly, and I'm going to say I started to get you to second guess yourself, you did. and before you changed your mind, instead of giving it more thought, you decided that you would just cheat. No, I didn't and go cheat. look up the answer online. I didn't cheat. I already, I, I had, I felt like I had to go with my name because I already said surly. So I'm kicking myself because I made one last minute change to the title of the film, and now I wish I hadn't because I feel like if I had kept it the same, yeah. you would have been Maybe. foiled. Well, okay. So what? What? What was the real title? The fake film in this lineup was Surly. <laughs> Yes. The film that I or the name of the uh, that I wanted to call it was Dower. Oh, see, that? That would have tricked that you. That would have tricked me. I would not have – you've used the word
2: surly <laughs> in one of your bits before, and I thought that's such a great mm. word, but you're the only one that uses
3: it. Shouldn't have made it about clowns. Shouldn't uh. have made it about surly. Exactly. Dour. Ooh, that would have been a good one. Hey, do I have time to tell you one trick yeah, that people do. are falling for yes. that you shouldn't this Halloween? Watch out. Scammers are phoning unsuspecting victims and telling them their friend or relative is in jail but can be freed in exchange for a prepaid gift. Gift card this is happening in Calgary uh, and uh, a lot of people have fallen for the scam people have lost hundred sixty eight thousand dollars through the scam so police are never going to uh, contact you about bailing out a friend and they're not going to say that you can do so by paying a gift card yeah that, so don't fall for it yeah I mean if you're going to if you I mean if you're going to give a gift card just send it to
2: dr. Matt Townsend <laughs> at gmail.com. Just if you're doing that. Anyway, see, we're here to help you every way we can, folks, to make sure you're not getting ripped off this Halloween season. Make sure you go check out the movie Surly about the crazy pig, the dour pig. Clown. Oh, clown, sorry. The dour clown. Great stuff straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This
2: is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend.
2: Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
2: Happy Halloween, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here with Jeff Simpson and Terry South. The gang's all gathered as, uh, as we help you launch your, your Happy Halloween. We hope it's a nice one for you. There's so many things today that you can feel free to do. Go ahead. Really? Have a donut. If they hand you one of those today, have as much chocolate as you want. I just want to know, can I watch the Dodger game? No, you can't. But just I want you to know this. I will be watching it for you. You will be walking your beautiful, cute, young family around the neighborhood. I will be sitting home. Handing out candy, allegedly, but really I won't be because my wife will want to do that, and I will get to watch the entire game. (sighs) Sorry. But don't think of it that way. Just think of it this way. You won't have to watch the Dodgers lose. You're not going to be watching
3: the game. Oh, yeah. No, you won't.
2: No, I will. I will. And I'll probably be working on my presentation that I'm doing this weekend while I'm watching the Dodger game. Hmm. Oh, it's a great day, folks. It is Halloween, and so be careful when you're out there driving tonight. Watch out for the little munchkins, watch out for their their parents. Some people are going to be a little onry tonight just cuz they, you know, they didn't want to have to walk around the neighborhood.
3: Well, if I don't get a butterfinger, I'm going to be pretty onry as well. You will, you'll get some. Okay.
2: And by the way, Jeff is dressed up today. Uh, we appreciate him celebrating. That uh, he's he's dressed as a Dodger today, a Dodger, just some guy that dodges traffic in Los Angeles <laughs> wearing an L.A. Dodger cap.
3: I just want it to be known that it was we established earlier on the show. I'm available. I can be there at a moment's notice. Well, you know, to fill in as far as a, as fast as a flight can get me there to fill in. If they need somebody to take yeah. a hit, to get on base and then they can replace me with a pinch runner. I'm so, happy to do it. To be clear, you were willing to have them throw a 95-mile-an-hour fastball at you. Yes. As long, you know, if they have more than a four-run lead, then, you know, I might let them do their thing. But as we as we <laughs> saw the other night, they're able to blow a four-run lead. I don't know so, why, but I want to see this happen. Yeah? I would love to see you get up to bat
2: for the Dodgers as their throw as Verlander's throwing 90 something
3: I guarantee fastballs. you if you were to take a poll of Dodger Dodgers fans they, I would not be the only one that would be willing to take a, a ball to Have the arm or to the bum Have you been hit by a ball lately? Um I've been hit by a paintball in the neck. That was pretty painful. Yeah, that's good. I don't think they're using paintball guns now. I slid into third with uh shorts. Yeah. And that hurt for about 2 months. Boy, that sounds painful. So that's right. That's you've right. seen it's what, what I'm willing to leg. do yeah. for a sport that I love.
2: That's true. Well, you're a better man than I am, Gunga Din.
3: Is that the movie from 1939? Yes, it is. Wow. Well, never seen it. No, it's but a but it great came one. out the same year as Gone with the Wind and The Wizard of Oz. How on earth do you know that? <laughs> hey, I'm just walking down the hall here at BYU Broadcasting,
2: and there's I walk into David Axelrod. It's the weirdest thing. You can't you can't turn in this building without walking into a major political figure. I'm tired of it. He, he's, anyway, he's gonna be on the show. He's gonna I, be on
3: he's gonna be on someone's show today. But but not this show. Not my show.
2: Hmm. Uh, no, not this show. Okay.
3: This show we're just gonna talk about your, out, we're, your outfit. We're jam-packed. We've got too much to do we don't fact, have room for him. Today we are gonna be talking about how to talk to your kids about Halloween
2: monsters. We just think that tonight's just going to be a great night, but there's a lot of kids that are going to be freaked out. It's going to work them over. Your daughters, I'm sure, might be a little worried by this. I, By the way, did I just see Harrison Ford walk yes. by? Yes.
4: Someone's dressed as Indiana yeah, Jones, right? But, he has
2: a whip and everything. Okay, but that was really that wasn't Harrison Ford. That was somebody else. But I really did just run into David Axelrod. Yeah, Are you just, sure
3: it wasn't somebody dressed as David Axelrod? No, no, no. no, no. David he's just Axelrod. down the hall. Because I heard that's he's... the number two uh, highest selling costume this year. Really, right after the Trump mask.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, be careful of that. That's I mean, it's a popular one. The Trump mask is popular, but you don't always want to go with what's popular. Yeah. Sometimes you want to. So there's
4: going to be five million Wonder Woman's out there tonight. That's true.
3: You brought up my daughters. If my daughters can't handle a little birthing scene in a movie or, you know, a child being buried into the ground. You need to qualify that. It wasn't like. A
2: medical film
4: here. It was like theatrical,
2: and the baby shows
4: up, and they were and like was, yeah.
2: having their child on the plains of Iowa. Yeah, if they yeah. can't handle that, they're they're in trouble. No, yeah, that's why you've got to learn today how to talk to them about I, Halloween. I
4: walk in, and my wife's talking to my son about Frankenstein. uh Oh, and he's like, "Where's Frankenstein come from?" So she says, "It's well, it's, it's Frankenstein's monster. There's that's Doctor Frankenstein. You, thank you. Yeah, there's a clarification. And, but then she goes into like." he's actually like made up of all these different body parts and there was grave robbing. I'm looking at, what are you doing? You can't, just yeah. give this. I mean, he's not
2: sleeping tonight. There's elements, mm-hmm.
4: and then I'm watching the show Stranger Things, mm-hmm. and my kid walks in, and it's a scary part. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I'm well, like, oh, pause. But I mean, you, even though you hit pause, he's still sitting there, and there's like this monster thing. He's like, Dad, what's that?
3: I've got I'm a like, solution oh. for that Doctor Frankenstein slash Frankenstein problem. <laughs> what? Just turn on Young Frankenstein for him, and it's hilarious, and maybe he'll. He likes you know, it. He
4: likes it because one of our away. one of our video games yeah. that has all the superheroes and the Marvel universe, Frankenstein exists. He's part of a team of monsters really? that fight evil. Yeah. So you can be Frankenstein in this video game. But
3: where you're see, breaking I, Legos.
2: I don't think I don't think this is as scary as it used to be. See I don't know. Frankenstein was a scary idea when I was growing up. Yeah. Because they actually weren't augmenting body parts, they weren't yeah. changing body parts. They weren't implanting, replanting, mm. supplanting. Now- It might be okay. That's all You can see all of that on just one TLC special. Because then he jumps mm. in and he goes, why do
4: vampires suck your blood? And I am like, oh, well, okay. So we start- I I Because they're hungry. I don't we know. We have
2: goths dressing dark and, I mean, this is a have less we, scary world. Have we desensitized
4: ourselves? Is I that what are saying? I think so.
2: But okay. there's still the kids that have to process you know, monsters. And then what is a monster today? Yeah. I mean, some political figures no. that'll be worn out there, those are seen as monsters, you know. Is it healthy for your kid to grab a pirate sword and say, I'll take care of the monsters,
4: and then run out of his bedroom? No. That's not healthy? He's got a pirate sword. He's good. Yeah, but he's Spider-Man. Well, he is wearing the Spider-Man costume. So he can't sword. carry a pirate sword. I understand. By he's got way, his web shooters.
3: By the way, who's really scarier? Frankenstein's monster or Doctor Frankenstein himself, who is the monster? Somebody that mm. is driven to this madness of digging up a you know somebody's yeah. body. And if you think about it, Frankenstein, the monster, is the victim. He's misunderstood. Yeah, I feel bad for him. All he wants is love. If you've seen the sequel,
2: well, he wanted a lot of other things. You know, because I mean, he had body parts he was and, missing, and
4: maybe a bigger vocabulary.
3: Yeah, he just Doctor, goes, he wanted more lines. <laughs> Dr. Frankenstein's uh, biggest mistake, other than creating Frankenstein's monster, is refusing to create a bride for Frankenstein's monster. Did you know that? Yeah, but, I mean, honestly,
2: do you think that's what he was really after?
3: I think we all want
2: some love. He looked horrible. Wow. Dr. Frankenstein's bride. Next. On... Lifestyles. Oh wow! What, no, what's <laughs> it called? What's the name? Of TL, what's the name of the? What's the name of the show?
3: Whoa. Celebrity lifestyles of the brilliant but demented. That's a good show. Dr. Frankenstein. Uh, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what should we be paying attention to? Paul Manafort, former chairman
4: of President Trump's 2016 campaign, was indicted Monday on 12 counts stemming from special or stemming from Special Counsel Robert Mueller's probe into Russian election interference. Manafort was implicated along with the former business associate Richard Gates. Both pled guilty to the charges Monday, and are on house arrest. In a statement Monday afternoon, Manafort spokesman Kevin Dowling dismissed Mueller's case against his client as ridiculous and a very novel theory, singling out the charges of money laundering and false statements related to foreign lobbying in particular. Mm. And President Trump echoed that saying, hey, Paul Manafort's lawyer says this stuff is ridiculous. (laughs) That was this morning. (laughs) How did he say that? This stuff is, he didn't say stuff. He said this is, as he said, it's ridiculous. Okay. So, th- clarifying. That, that's it. that's your update, and then there's this other guy Papadopoulos who actually lied, who apparently was arrested in J- uh, July. Yeah, and nobody knew about it till yesterday. They had yesterday. to keep it quiet. How did that happen? Everything's leaking leaking well, out of DC but no, these days. No, because because part of it is because he was yeah maybe doing stuff. Maybe he's wired and bumping around talking to people. Trying to get more
2: information. And
4: and so some people are looking at it like the Manafort thing is showing that we are going after people. The Papadopoulos thing is we already have people. That's kind of a warning to all the people that are possibly involved in the investigation. So We'll see where this goes. U.S. forces have captured a person accused of being instrumental in the 2012 attack on the U.S. Embassy in Benghazi, Libya. In a statement, President Donald Trump named the alleged militant as uh, Mustafa Alman. Trump said Alman will be tried in the U.S. The Associated Press reported that the uh, the arrestee was captured during a raid in Libya and placed on a U.S. Navy ship, which is currently underway, to the U.S. Really? So they found a guy involved with the Benghazi attack, and he'll be tried in the United States. It seems... I don't know how else you're going to have some sort of legal
2: thing. It seems they could put them on an airplane. Well, that's why many would say this isn't a legal issue. This is a war issue. So a war tribunal. Yeah. That's that's part
4: of the War Powers Act. They're yeah. trying to debate and figure out because who? it's not a war. Necess- I mean, it is a war, but we're not fighting a nation, right? right you're no. fighting different individual groups. Yeah, but like those groups
2: nations. also aren't in the United States no. and those groups, so we're going to bring them to some courthouse to try them on a federal on charge yeah. of something. And That's where it gets confusing. Welcome to Chattanooga! <laughs> and we're going to try guess. him somewhere? Yeah. Okay,
4: whatever. So, we'll what see. do, I know? What do F- I know? The FBI has opened an investigation into the controversial $300 million contract that Puerto Rico Electric Power Authority awarded to Whitefish Energy Holdings. The Wall Street Journal reports Whitefish Energy, tiny company from Montana that was hired to rebuild the power lines on the island following two destructive hurricanes. The deal has drawn widespread scrutiny in part because Whitefish, Whitefish Energy secured the contract while only have, having two full-time employees and because it's located in Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke's tiny hometown. The FBI agents are apparently looking into circumstances surrounding the
2: disaster recovery deal. So they they think just because it's in a small town in Montana mm. that you can't with you know you can't have a two person firm yes. that could earn three hundred million dollars to right. save Puerto Rico's energy issues. Yes, there's some there's some concern that maybe they didn't detail all of that that
4: you just said <laughs> to Puerto Rico when they went in for the bid.
3: Oh, by the way, I'm hoping to get some zinkies in my trick or treating bag tonight. Oh, I uh, once had a zinky. Hmm. Ah, hurt like a. <laughs> ah. And in other news, finally, uh, let's see,
4: turkey buyers in select Texas markets mm-hmm. will be able to either text or enter on the Honeysuckle White website the code found on the tag of the packaged bird to find out where it was raised and get information about the farm's location, view farm photos, and read the farmer's message. Hmm. The traceable turkeys is the pilot project, won't cost more Then untagged bergs after the test, the Minneapolis-based Cargill Inc. and its Honeysuckle White brand will assess further implementation of the digital technology and any price adjustments. The pilot project marks the agribusiness giant's entry into the burgeoning farm-to-table movement driven by people who want to know where their food comes from and how it was (laughs) produced. It is also a sign of the success driven by sustainable food advocates who have been promoting such connections as a way for farmers to market locally grown and raised foods. Matt, would you want to know where exactly your turkey came from? No. Do you want to look at pictures of the farm that your
2: turkey came from? No. Do I want to look at a political candidate doing a stand-up in front of a turkey grinder when (laughs) they're killing turkeys (laughs) behind me? I want to know if he had
4: relatives
3: and where I can get a hold of them.
4: Yeah. Do you want to read the farmer's message about how much it joys him that you're eating the turkey produced on his farm? That's a negative. I just want me some turkey. Is any of this information uh, something you're interested
2: in? No. What do you want to know about your turkey? Nada. You just want to eat it. I just want to know it's clean yeah. and it maybe didn't have as many chemicals in it that it shouldn't. Right. I don't want to know how many offspring it had. I don't want okay. to know if it had a degree. You just
4: want to have the turkey. Just, just, give me, just give me the turkey. Just gotcha. give me the turkey. I, I read that. And I'm like, I don't – I think that's a little too much information. Yeah. T-M-I.
3: Yeah. Back off a little turkey. Bit. By the some, way, I think it did have a degree from Turks and Caicos University. Oh,
2: yeah. It's a great turkey university. Some people want to know that much information about their food. You know what? I wish people cared as much about worrying about what costume they wear. Hmm. Uh, CNN has a really a wonderful tool. I think everybody should go find. It's uh it's, <laughs> it's kind a of a chart. flow chart yeah. that you should consult when you're thinking about should you wear this costume. Is it is this racist or not? I've seen those. It kind of through, it okay. goes through. It goes through the whole thing. So basically, what is your costume? And you, it kind of falls into categories hmm. because you could you could have a costume that is a humorous take on a current event. Yes. But if you're going to go down that line of reasoning, you got to ask. Does it capitalize on a tragedy or a crisis? Yes. So you probably ought not wear a costume from a hurricane,
4: from a tragedy. Somebody in Las Vegas decorated their front yard. With tombstones with all the Las Vegas shooting victims on it, okay. well, they felt it was a tribute. Are you serious? Yeah, they felt to- it was a tribute. No. It was soon taken down because yeah. they, you know, everyone realized oh. that was
2: bad. Yeah, if they had just gone through this flowchart, they would have recognized. Yeah, we probably ought not. Because if it if it capitalizes on a tragedy, the obvious answer is no. Don't okay. do it. Uh, unless, of course, that's Harambe, then. Even Harambe, yeah.
3: You only uh, do it when so Mel Brooks. Gorillas. Mel Brooks famously said, "Tragedy plus time equals comedy." So if you let you know a couple of decades go by, then maybe you can circle back around to it. That, so you like, know, is the Alamo fair game, or is that still too soon? No, it's, that's probably <laughs> okay. that's probably enough time. Case in point, he won an Oscar for writing the film The Producers, which is about a play within. It's a play within a movie, basically. About uh, the, the play is springtime for Hitler. Yes. So it's the lighter side of Hitler <laughs> and he won an Oscar
2: for it. So hmm. which, which again, way. that is a phrase, the lighter side of Hitler that you would right. never think. <laughs> right.
3: That's the formula,
2: though. Yeah. Tragedy but plus
3: time equals comedy. In a strange twist, Hitler for
4: Halloween might not be the best choice.
2: Yeah. Isn't that hmm. weird? Hmm.
4: And by the way, it ruined
2: a great mustache. <laughs> Just that. Charlie Chapman. I mean. Yeah. Did a great job Bad with it. Guy. So really. you got to be careful with uh, popular trends. Um, you got to make sure you're not taking advantage of a tragedy. Should you go maybe with a presidential mask, mm. a Hillary Clinton mask? Are those? No, I mean, I mean, Hillary's been out for a year. It's probably maybe not if you funny have someone anymore. go ahead of you
4: and warn, like, just kind of, there's a trigger warning type of person. They'll just be, they'll wear a sign that says "trigger warning." Yeah, and they'll say a Donald Trump mask is coming up the sidewalk, just you, so everyone is
3: aware. And tr- you only wear those space. if you're going to rob a bank or invade a home, right? Yes.
2: Another thing you got to be careful of is is a lot of people wear like kind of sassy or sexy versions mm. of things. Right.
3: Well, so thank you for noticing. Yeah.
2: Hmm. Uh, We'll talk about that later. Not thinking of you on that one. Um, But you got to be careful because this isn't the time to maybe do that. Yeah. This is a a child's holiday and you probably ought not – you can't make anything just sexier by wearing clothes that are sexy. Like you You can't take Nemo. Well – I mean— the, Just wear less. I yeah, mean, but you, it's kind of the idea. The big question ought to be, should we be sexualizing yeah. cartoon characters? No. And I'm going to go with a big no. no. Okay. Well, just don't do it. Everyone's got their own opinion. Yeah.
4: Just That just seems really— If you look at all the online Halloween costume websites, they may differ in, yeah. in that opinion. But that's I mean,
2: there's other things, Yeah. <laughs> And so th- there's other things that you got to be careful of mm. just because something's funny you got to make sure it's funny to a whole group of people. Oh. It's got to be funny, ha-ha funny. But it can't be like funny to one group of people. Right. Right? Like the Ku Klux Klan and funny is not what we're going for. Nice. You got to be funny. Okay. That clears that up. So all you have to and they have a whole they have a flow chart here. Yes. So, and, and it, by the way, really quickly, if it involves any blackface, you don't do it. Al Jolson did it no. like way back no. in the day. No. Yeah. It's indeed. simple. These are simple rules. Yeah. If you have to
3: change the color of your skin, no. By the way, that also means clowns. Robert, Robert Downey Jr. did it in the film Tropic Thunder. I know. How'd that go? He got an Oscar nomination for it. Yeah. Didn't, did he get the Oscar? No. no. Okay. He lost out to Heath Ledger, who also yeah, wet, was dressed up face. as a clown. Yeah.
2: But see, I, I just think overall, if you have to cut, change your skin color.
3: You got two. Don't do it. Two actors that changed the color of their skin. Yeah. Both accomplished that year. Don't do it. That's all I'm saying. We're trying
2: to help you out on the show, folks. We want we want to keep you around for a long time. Up next we're going to talk about how you should be talking to your kids about Halloween monsters. It's a scary time for some kids, so give you a little heads up on what you can say, what you might not want to be saying. This is the Matt Townsend show, helping you uh, be the good in the world. Colorful cartoons of Dracula and Frankenstein seem to be like no big deal to adults, right? But uh, to the kids, they may seem very real. Do kids have the ability to know that these monsters aren't real? Susan Lynn uh, is joining us today to talk to us about how to talk to our kids about these scary monsters. Susan is the co-founder and director of the Coalition Campaign for a Commercial Free Childhood and an instructor in psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. We're honored to have you here, Susan. Thank you for your time and being with us today
7: oh hi Matt yeah I'm really happy to be talking with you is it one thing just for my own truth in advertising yeah um I founded campaign for commercial free childhood and I was the direct executive director for 15 years and um I turned it over Ah. to Josh Golan who was my associate director couple of years ago he's doing a fantastic job
2: so now, now you can now you can go I, focus on other things more books more more help yeah,
7: I wanted more time for writing I'm working on a sequel to my first book consuming kids
2: the hostile takeover of childhood and yeah. the case for make-believe is it is I guess is that part of the deal is that these kids have a harder time discerning what's real and what's fake
7: well I think that um we have to think about child development and and children of different ages have different ways and different capabilities of thinking about things, so you know children toddlers, early preschoolers, maybe even you know preschools who are older than that um may you know may have a harder time understanding what's real and what's Pretend, and um, and one thing I think it's important for adults to remember is that we we can all be scared of things, even if we know they're not real.
2: Right? Yeah. Right. I, I mean, th- I mean the, that's the th- and that's the easy part, right? We we can fall for it.
7: Right. I mean, think about the shower screen in Psycho, mm. the shower scene in Psycho, which has terrified people for years, and. You know, any movies or, book, or books you've read, television programs you've seen that just stay with you and you can't get the images out of your head. Ugh.
2: So it sounds like, too, we've got to be careful because we could traumatize these kids by putting them into a situation that's too scary.
7: I think that that's um, that that's really important when thinking about the movies – and television programs that um, the parents share with their children. Um, it, it's important for them to remember that movies that are now rated PG-13, which means suitable for kids, you know, parental guidance, basically. Right. Before the age of 13, um, that those movies, uh, you know, a generation ago would have been rated R restricted until the age of 17. Hmm boy so,
2: times have changed
7: yeah i mean what a couple of things happened one thing that happened is that um technology in in the late 1990s and early 2000s the screen technology developed and got so sophisticated that people could do virtually anything with an image and that's when movies had the capacity of becoming incredibly gory because because they could do it. So that's one thing. And the other thing is that, you know, violence, like sex, sells. Yeah. And so these movies can be—they don't need a lot of language, and they can be distributed all over the world. Is
2: there—how do we know how much is too much and at what age to to kind of allow more— not just i guess gore the gore sounds horrible but just the scare factor
7: i think that um one thing that parents can do is take their cues from their children and if if their children are afraid of something that it's important not to belittle them for being afraid um even telling them there's no reason to be afraid you know, I think it's important to honor their fear. I know, you know, for instance, yeah, I know that that's scary. And then you can say, but, you know, it's not real. You know, you don't have to look at it if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's important um, not to make children feel ashamed of, of their feelings.
2: And I guess instead let them talk about them.
7: Yes, it's important for us to, you know, send the message to our children that they can talk to us about anything. I mean, that's, you know, that's just important um especially as children grow and face, you know, all sorts of challenges in the world.
2: Yeah. Is there um I mean, cuz I guess developmentally that they'll start to be able to distinguish what's pretend, what's real, but again, things still may be scary to them, is it, it seems like talking about it opens up their, your ability to understand how they think and why they think. Um, so, so part of the benefit is just simply understanding your child better.
7: Right. The, the, knowing more about, about how they're experience, experiencing the world and um and also as i you know kind of implied before anyway establishing a relationship with them that's based on on trust in your capacity you know to hear what they're thinking and feeling without judging them for that yeah and 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 i think it's also important for parents to differentiate between feelings and action I mean, when I say don't judge children for their feelings, I'm not saying that it's okay for kids to be mean to other kids or to be violent. You know, we have to set limits on behavior. But, That's true. Um, but feelings are, are you know, our own.
2: And and I guess um, part of uh, the feelings, too, would be, and talking to them about it, would be your, allowing your child to kind of understand their emotion and their feelings um, do you, how, how do you help them process through their feelings and maybe get sure. them to other, I mean, not, not, I guess you don't want to change their feelings, but is there a way to also get them other information that they may not know?
7: Sure. Of course. I mean, you know, if a child is, is afraid of something, you know, you, you can, you know, say like a child who's afraid of all dogs, you know, well, you know, most dogs are friendly. And, you know, what it's important for us to do is to um, what's important for us us to do is um, is, you know, try to help your children have experiences that counter their fear, but not to get angry at them if, you know, they're not going along with the program. Yeah. Does uh, does that make sense? Yeah,
2: absolutely. Because, yeah, and part of the – yeah, you don't want your emotion to cloud the whole situation either, right? You want to try to stay neutral and then just understand and be empathic toward
7: their emotion. Right. Or, you know, you can share stories with your children about things that you were afraid Mm -hmm. of or even things, you know, that you are afraid of. I mean, not, you know, the big things, but – Things like snakes, if you're afraid of snakes, you know, and, you know, I know most of them don't hurt me, but I still get creeped out. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, if you have fears that you've overcome, then, you know, I think it's helpful to share your experiences
2: with your kids. Yeah, versus, like, just forcing them into experiences. Uh, It might be better to be talking these things out instead of just showing up at a scary door on Halloween.
7: Yes, and you know yes, and to go back to Halloween, if children are afraid of being out at night with, you know, kids in other costumes, if the very young ones get freaked out, take them home. Yeah. And that's fine. They don't have to go out. And I and mean I, what I, you don't want to do is belittle them for their fears. Yeah. And and telling them there's nothing to be afraid of. I mean we say that kind of reflexively. But I'm not sure how helpful that is.
2: Mm-hmm. Do um, I know in your work you do and you've become well known for being for using more puppets in psychotherapy and and using the puppets, I guess, to, to help role playing. And talk about what you've learned about that process of creative play.
7: Well, um, first of all, um, creative play is the foundation of learning and creativity and constructive problem solving. And it's also the the way that children wrestle with life to make it meaningful. When children play creatively, when they bring characters to life on their own, when, when the script isn't being dictated to them, they play about their experiences, including their fears. And so, you know, you might have children pretending to be monsters. And that's a way of getting some some kind of, the jargon word is mastery hmm. over over their feelings, a sense of competence around them. So, you know, children like to be the scary monster often. They like to be the dragon that, you know, they like to be, you know, the bad guy. Sometimes they like to do that. Um, because it's a way it's a way of helping them work through and conquer their fears.
2: It, it really is, and it seems like a it, when they when they get to play the scary monster, they're playing it at their level, I guess. It is, and is it opening up their eyes as to that other side of the equation of the, of you know kind of the mind of the monster?
7: I, I think that um, you know the answer to that really is that it depends on on the child. It can have different meanings for different children, but I think that they do this naturally given the opportunity, and that you know we don't have to make an interp- interpretation for yeah. them. We don't have to say, and clearly, I don't think we should say, "Well, you're doing this because you're afraid of blah blah blah." Right. I mean, yeah. I think you know what we can do is engage in play with our children. You know what? What's not okay in play is if a child is actually hurting somebody else, or if two children are playing and one of them is being scary and the other one really is scared. That's not playing anymore, right? That's that not, child. is it?
2: Is it? No. Is is here's a one of the things I know you you have talked about too is you can use the play as a great way to solve problems and, and let them try to, like, put them in a situation in the play where they have to solve a problem.
7: Yeah, I mean, one of the nice things about talking through stuffed animals or puppets um, for parents, and, you know, I'm not suggesting that parents can be children's therapists. They can't. But, um, you know, if if you have a child who who, you know, doesn't want to go to bed, you know, you can have a stuffed animal take that role and say, I don't want to go to bed. And, you know, for young kids, you can say, them, why do you think Bear doesn't want to go to bed? What do you think is going on? What should we do to help him? Yeah. And just just that's kind of a fun way of of um, of helping children, you know, get through things that they really don't want to do. I mean, when my daughter was young, and and was, I mean, she was like two, two and a half at the time, and she would resist getting dressed, I would have her socks start arguing (laughs) about which one could go on first. Oh, yeah. You know, and then let her make the decision. So, you know, in or, um, you know, if she didn't want to come to dinner, I would say, you know, Sasha, your peas are calling you. (laughs) Sasha, Sasha, come eat me. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. We we can use play to help children, young children especially, get used to routine, routines that they may, you know, just be resisting.
2: Yeah. What other advice would you give us for tonight um, with our kids as we, you know, as we just go knocking door to door? If we start to see some fear... But not, you know, not enough. Maybe that they want to stop, but they they seem to be a little scared about something. How how would you suggest we talk to our kids through talk them through that?
7: Well, um, again, it depends. You know, it depends on your child. But I think you can say, you know, it is. You know, this seems like this might be a little scary for you, and your child will either say yes or no, and you can say, you know, we don't have to do this. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can have fun with Halloween at home. You don't have to keep going, and give them that option.
2: And, and really, it's it's kind of letting them lead this to a to some point, huh?
7: Um, well, to some point. I mean, I think it's up to adults to say when enough is enough. Yeah. You know when to stop, and you know, and that kind of thing. But um, in terms of kids balking going trick or treating, there's really no reason for them to have to do that.
2: Yeah, that's not. Yeah, this isn't major a major developmental stage. No, no, right, it of life.
7: And it, if it's not fun, there's really no point.
2: Well, right, and and honestly, it it's it's almost like everyone else is doing it, so I feel this fear of missing out. But honestly, it might do them better to not want to chase the bag of candy all night.
7: It it's just really it depends. You know, it depends on. On your child, and I think that one thing that 's happening is that parents are are bringing increasingly younger children out trick trick or treating you know kids under two or three yeah. are going trick or treating now and and you know it might be frightening for them or even just overwhelming for them and and you know the excitement of getting so much candy can make kids irritable or you know start Crying. So I think, you know, with with the very young children, if you really want to take your child trick-or-treating, trick then, um, you know, do a little bit with them.
2: Yeah, do a little bit, then maybe take a little break. Well, we appreciate you, Susan. Thank you for your work and uh, just your, your, your thinking about the things that we need to be thinking about. Again, Susan Lynn is her name, and she is the author of Consuming Kids, The Hostile Takeover of Childhood, and The Case for Make-Believe, um, Saving Play in a Commercialized World. Both books uh, were published by the New Press. Powerful, uh, powerful insights. As a parent, let's remember – we think it's for the kids, but if, if it's for your two-year-old, your two-year-old's not really big on walking all night in a really difficult you know, costume to go get candy. That's probably more about you, uh, just wanting to get your kid out there for a little show and tell. But uh, let's think about the kids tonight, all of us, too, while we're driving around. Let's make it a safe, safe night for everybody. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Put my candy corn. Welcome back, friends. You know, this lady has been looking for her candy corn for two days now. I wish she would find it. Jeff's favorite song is called Candy Corn. You can look it up on YouTube if you want to be, uh, you know, entertained for about... Two seconds. Up next, though, uh, we got to talk to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation and find out what they're going to be doing for Halloween tonight. Hello, Spencer and Jerem.
5: Hi, Matt. Happy Halloween.
2: Happy Halloween to you guys. How you doing? Good. Good.
5: good. What, what'd you dress up as, man?
2: I dressed up as a radio host. Oh. Dis-
5: Boring.
12: What what do you?
2: I what, saw Jeff, Jeff dressed up. Yeah, up. Jeff is dressed up like an LA Dodger. He's dressed
12: up like game day. Yeah,
2: he, he looks like game day for BYU broadcasting. He is
5: Dodger game day. Dodger
12: game yeah. day.
2: He um he he made a be- a deal with me that he, he says if the Dodgers need him to play for them today, he's willing to go in and take a fastball like a ninety five mile an hour fastball. He'll he'll get hit by it if it could advance the cause.
12: Wow. <laughs> I want to ask uh, Jeff the following question. Yes. So if he he had tickets to tonight's game, Mm. would he go out with his kids, (laughs) which this is the number two have-to-be-with-your-kids day of the year? Yeah, yeah. Number one being Christmas. Or would he go to the game
3: We miss Halloween? We were going to ask you about this because that is the huge dilemma, is how do I get to watch the game on TV and still not ignore my family completely?
5: Stream, D- it, on, stream D- it on Fox Sports Go R- while you take, take them. Yeah, I, I that's think, what I said.
3: I think I would take the tickets and I think my wife would
5: understand.
12: See, that's – yeah, that's one of those things that you'd have to – I you'd think you'd take the out.
3: tickets and your wife would
2: not understand, but she'd still be okay with you she'd doing get it. get over it. Or yeah. you
5: can just bring them to the BYU Trunk or Treat tonight outside of the Valdeward Stadium.
12: Is that
2: what you are doing tonight?
12: Yes, because we will be live on the BYU radio and the BYU TV from seven to nine Eastern time tonight.
2: Look at you guys! So you don't even while get you're a out break. Trick
12: or treating, you can stream
2: on Halloween. You don't even get a break though. This are is we
12: gonna, are we going to see our kids trick or treating tonight? Maybe not, but you no. know what? We're going to have a great time tonight.
2: Man, boy, you know what? What'll be neat though is in therapy. In about twelve years, you guys will be able to work through that.
5: <sighs> Looking forward to that. Yeah, as long as I don't have to pay for that, that's great.
2: <laughs> no, I'll take care of you guys.
5: Exactly. I was going to say Matt Towns. is a Matt Towns hook discount up. special. I'll hook you up. Going to pay for it out of the fast offering?
2: Yeah, we'll we'll take care of it. We we will take care of it. Is it um, so you're going to be doing the you're going to be doing play by play at the Trunk Treat? Yes, it's like the red carpet Halloween yeah. special.
12: Greg Rubel will be there. Clonestake will be there. Tom the, Homa will be there. Oh, that's and, gonna be and a good night. Of Of uh, amazing athletes and coaches dressed up. We are going to be in costume as well. We will not tell you what it is though. We're in costume now. Are you? And a different one
5: later today. Yep.
3: Can I make a guess? Yes, please. Jerem's going to go as Stranger (laughs) Thing one, and Spencer's going to be Stranger (laughs) Thing two. That's a good. It's funny you say that, Jeff.
5: It's funny you say that because former BYU football offensive coordinator Dr. Robert and I. At one point during I think twenty fourteen fall camp addressed us as thing one and thing two.
2: Really? Yes. So you're, yeah, your reputation precedes you. That's a complete miscalculation of what happened.
5: <laughs> thing one and thing two here. Taron! Okay, Taron! catch the ball, Taron! you're uh, a turkey.
2: I think you guys need to go sunny and share.
5: Nope. No Where we are what we are for the morning show yeah. is the direct TV and cable versions of Jim or Fredette. Really? Yes. So
12: I, well, you go first.
5: I am 73 points scored in a game, Jimmer Fredette, wearing the Shanghai Sharks jersey. Okay. And
12: I am 73 seconds in a game, Jimmer Fredette, wearing the Sacramento Kings jersey.
2: (laughs) That's good. See, that's a a good bit. You guys could do that all day. Nice little spin, right? We
12: will will do it all day. we need
2: a show, Jerem. You guys ought to get a show.
5: We need a a program.
12: We Uh, need that. Program.
2: What's on your program today?
5: Ah, yes. Of course, the Halloween hullabaloo. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Blaine Fowler will join us to discuss BYU's chances as they, gasp, head for a potential two-game win streak. Wouldn't that spook some folks in college football after a seven-game losing streak?
12: Bristol State looked really good until they lost to UNLV last week. Huh? So, can BYU win this game? Did the offense wake up for BYU last week, or was it a return to old ways coming up this week? Well, yes. Well, we'll ask him. Plus, uh, our Twitter question: If you could dress as any BYU-themed costume for Halloween, what would it be and why? Mm. Also, Tim Lacombe, uh, assistant basketball coach, will join us. We will ask him about uh, the Nick Emery situation as well as the upcoming uh, exhibition tomorrow night against Westminster and the win they got in the pit against New Mexico Friday night.
2: Nah, it's never a dull moment with you guys.
12: No,
5: Don't you're welcome. Between the lines, yeah, I was going to say between the lines with Lauren Frankham. She fulfills a lifelong dream.
2: Yeah, what we'll is it? it?
5: At, we'll leave it at that. That's, you're not even going to tease us. Lifelong just, dream life-long coming dream. true nope. for Lauren too. McClain. Oh. Do
2: it. Is, is she dressed up too? She is. Is she dressed up like Jim or Fredette?
5: Nope. No, she's got the baseball jersey, baseball hat on backwards,
2: hmm. doing her thing.
5: Okay. Maybe she has an intramural game later.
12: We're not quite sure. Perhaps.
2: Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I, I'm excited to see what you're going to be wearing tonight.
12: Dude, It like... There's you,
5: makeup you, and you
2: costumes. You're getting full you makeup, wait. huh?
12: Yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Let costuming me ask you this.
5: For, costuming for a straight hour before we go on.
2: Okay, let me ask you this because and it might be a little personal. Any body makeup?
5: Matt, don't do that. Just asking. Don't don't, don't make that weird. <laughs> don't get weird, man.
2: <laughs> okay, so it will be about an hour of body makeup. <laughs> Okay, I understand. I wouldn't
5: get defensive otherwise,
2: right? No, right. <laughs> Why else is he so defensive? <laughs> He's going to spend one hour in body makeup. Oh. Jeff, by the way, has some body makeup. Do you want to? Do you guys want to just give us a little score for tonight's game?
5: Ah, yes.
12: Logo, in thirteen innings. Oh wow! The Dodgers seven. Yeah. The Astros five. Ooh, in thirteen. So it's, a, so it's a walk-off homer.
2: Man, that's a long the game. the balls are juiced. That's right. The, yeah, <laughs> they are. Because they're a little greasy. It is
5: that uh, dense California air. Uh-huh. Not as much of a home run hitter park no. as uh, in Houston. I'm going to say Dodgers. It's also dense
12: and by the ocean.
6: Mm.
5: Yes, true. But shorter dim- dimensions in the yeah.
2: field. Yeah, you're
5: right. Uh, I'm going to say Dodgers 5 Oh my gosh. We have a game seven. That means a game seven. Absolutely. Are you kidding me? This series is destined for game seven. I want I want a game seven. The Dodgers will win because it's going there will be a game
2: seven. There will be a game seven. I don't think they'll win, is my take. I have
5: no idea who wins
12: game seven.
2: (gasps) Yeah, sorry about that. All right, guys.
12: Hey, hey, you just want to get to a game seven right now, Jeffrey? Come on, man. Jeff
2: does. That's his problem. Now he's get just get to a game seven. I know. He just does that. That's what he does. He just he's so excited to get to a game seven, but he's got to get through game six, and he won't even be able to watch it today. Sorry, Jeff. Ah,
3: you know. Well, it's not like they really need me. Well, they unless do. they take me up on my offer to get hit by a ninety-five mile an hour fastball. I, and I
2: don't. I mean, it seems mean, but I really want to see that.
3: But I I don't think it'll happen because I think your your name has to be on the roster before a certain deadline. You know what we ought to do? Let's go
2: take you out, shoot a video of somebody throwing a ball at you 95 (laughs) miles an hour, and then
3: you can say, this is what I'll do for the team. Again, I don't think they'll find that helpful. Unless I'm at the plate getting hit, getting on base, it's not going to do a whole lot for them.
2: No, but I think it would be fun for everyone else. they don 't
3: even have to keep me in. They can take me out immediately and put in a pinch runner. Well, I think you will be taken out if we
2: hit you right mm. Anywho hey, our hero story of the day is a courageous father that has saved his teenage daughter from a rampaging thirteen foot long great white shark off the south uh, or the southern coast of Australia declaring that if he had taken 10 seconds longer, I'd have one less child. Chris Williams, 56, said his family was kayaking in pristine waters of southern coast on Sunday. But the perfect afternoon quickly turned into a nightmare when Sarah, who's 15, alone in a double kayak, was suddenly flung into the air. Sarah said she'd been messing around with her brother when the attack began. The next thing I know, a shark was hitting my kayak from below. She said it flipped the kayak as soon as I hit the water. I saw the fin of the tail and I thought, "Uh uh-oh, this is like Jaws movie. Anyway, I basically used the body weight of the shark to get back up. She said the ferocious attack left teeth marks in the kayak and in her leg. Dad immediately started his boat, was able to turn the boat around and get over to her, saved her, pulled her out of the water. He said, man, if that boat hadn't started or if he had just not been able to get over there fast enough, he'd probably not have one of his children. Crazy hero right there. Chris Williams is the hero. And that's the show, my friends. We'll be back again tomorrow. BYU Sports Nation's up next.